Free Talk Live. It's talk radio that you control. 603-283-6160 is the phone number for you to call. That's 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay Noon. And, and Mark Edge. Uh, remotely, we have Mark in the in the studio. But are you able to say where you are in the world, Mark? I'm in Florida. Nice. Well, what have you been up to recently? Just staying in Florida, you're not doing ZA stuff? It's the it's the holidays, so I want to be where my son is. And, um, you know, it's been a lot of fun. He's back from a boarding school in Spain. And we're excited to start a new school year coming up, or school semester coming up here shortly. Does he speak Spanish better than you now? He does not speak Spanish better than I, but he is uh, doing better. Interesting. Well, thank you for being on tonight. This is looking like it could be our um, Thursday show for a while, and I hope the hosts or the viewers are happy to listen to Mark since he's a founder of the show. I'm happy to be here. I always like it when Mark's on the show. I, I must say, uh, you know, I've been missing him for for a while now. Yeah, and I've never been on with specifically you two. It's crazy how many combinations there are that I'm still right with uh, with what ten, twelve hosts yeah. or whatever. It can the combinations speak quite large. Yep. So the first thing that I brought in to talk about tonight is a Wall Street Journal article titled "Why Doesn't Gen Z Want to Be." All it can be. And you may think that this is about Gen Z people not wanting to work or something. But it's actually a quite boomery pro-war opinion piece from Wall Street Journal. Ah, so it's uh, why why don't they want to sign up and catch bullets? Right. Well, can we define Gen Z real quick? I want to say it's 1996 to, I think, 2010. So, yeah, that's what I got. I just looked it up on Wikipedia. Oh, really? Mid, mid-90s to early 2010s. Because a lot of people say 1995, but I was born in 1996, and I just I feel like I can't completely relate to millennial or Gen Z completely, but I feel more like Gen Z than millennial. So, basically, a 24-year-old to like down to like a 12 or 13-year-old would be a Gen Zer? Well, I'm 27. And I was born in 96. Okay, so a 26-year-old. So from like a 13-year-old to a 26-year-old would be a, 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 a right now, if you're listening to this live, is you know, uh, that would be a, a Gen Z-er right now. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that means that Bonnie might be Gen Z. Um, she's a cusper, yeah. as it were. Um, but my son Jack is definitely a Gen Z. Um you know, but uh, I mean, Bonnie's quite a bit older than than he is. But he was taller than her at 12. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm he's, sure. he, he's a tall kid anyways. <laughs> he is. <laughs> since I'm short, I get to be in Gen Z instead of millennial since I'm a cusper. <laughs> but I just thought that title was so funny that it's so incredibly skewed towards being pro-war that you wouldn't even know what it's talking about. Why doesn't Gen Z want to be all it can be? And then the subtitle says, young Americans are skeptical of the military. That's a reason to worry about national sh- security. It says optimism was in the air at the 2023 Reagan National Defense Forum, where the annual survey of American opinion showed growing public support for defending Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion, which isn't good or optimistic to me. That sounds scary. 
and I want to go to war against China. I, I would not particularly like to do the same. I think that there's some things that the U.S. could do about that now uh, that they choose not to do because they'd rather have the conflict than, uh, say, some immigration. I mean, hmm. so if you want to pick one country, um, Taiwan's in the top, you know, top several in the world that I'd say, you know what, let's have unrestricted migration from Taiwan. Um, you know, if if. If the Taiwanese government needs a little land, you know, saw them off a piece that the federal government has in Nevada and let them, um, you know, move everybody there and rule over there. Whatever the case may be, there's no reason that American blood and billions and billions of dollars needs to be shed over some rock in the Pacific. You know, if it's the people, fine. But some chunk of land where the losing military of a um, the losing government of of a war 60, 70, 80 years ago. I don't even know. Um, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, there there there's a solution to this that isn't our kids dying. And, you know, Taiwan, from what I understand and correct me if I'm wrong here, but like that's a super productive country. They produce yep. a tremendous amount of stuff. So the culture of the Taiwanese people probably have excellent work ethic from what i can tell and are motivated and skilled uh and we are really lacking motivation and skill right now in america Big yeah time. it's kind of like israel it's like why don't all countries just say we'll take a certain amount we'll take a certain amount they they wouldn't do that in i don't know the 30s after world war ii or the 40s whenever they had the Balfour Agreement, and they just stole a piece of land and gave it to the um, Israeli people instead of yeah, the Jews. Yep. Yeah, instead of just like letting them move wherever they wanted to in the world. That's kind of messed up, right? And you know, um, leaving the is Israel uh, conversation out because <laughs> I think it gets very, very complicated here. But I just want everyone to think about what it would have been like if the United States. Now, Israel is one of the most productive and prosperous countries in the world. While people are shooting missiles at them for the last six decades. Well, they also get like $14 billion a year in financial aid from the United it's States. It's mostly just military stuff. So They're also they shooting it, their make own it go kaboom. rockets, not, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 not, I'm not claiming they're the, the good guys in all of this. I'm just saying that they've managed to be very successful. Yep. If the United States... Um, because, you know, it's worth pointing out that FDR, would, um, Roosevelt, was a terrible racist. I mean, he just hated Jews. And oh, he really? turned away the the ship of the damned. You can look it up. Yeah. These people, nearly every one of them ended up dying in a concentration camp. He could have just said, open the doors, flung the doors open and said, Jews of the world come to the United States. They, they ended up, many of them ended up here anyway, and we benefit as a result. As a group of people, these people um, uh, have won more Nobel Prizes than any other group. And the United States would be better off had those people moved here rather than to Israel. And there wouldn't be this particular manufactured conflict that's going on. Um, but this is what happens when you just, you know, you, you get involved. People should be able to move from one place to another. And that's why I say we're making the same mistake with Taiwan right now. The United States would be better off if it let for whatever amount of Taiwanese people they could bring over here. And if you've got to make compromises to do it, make the compromises. 
It's better than losing your kid in some stupid war over a rock in the Pacific. And it's funny because I don't I don't know this for a fact or anything, but I think the same way as Jay was describing about the Taiwanese people, because I see made in Taiwan on so many things. I just think they're really productive and I don't see any reason why it would be it would be anything but a a gain or a plus for us to bring them some of them here who want to be here. I think the thing is so many people are too attached to the specific rock that they live on. And I just don't understand. I don't think the Taiwanese are too big on that. I mean, they was to, I mean, they've only been there for a little while, basically um, around world war two, they were, that government was driven there. It was authoritarian for a long time. Now it's gone democratic and they're very popular. I'd like to talk real quick about the Silicon shield. Have you guys heard, heard about this? Silicon shield. The Silicon shield. This is really, um, really important. So Taiwan back in the nineties decided, you know what? We're going to do something that's going to make it so we never get invaded. And they became the largest manufacturer. They're the only manufacturer, basically. Um, I think you can do some in the United States. But the more or less, the, the biggest manufacturer of silicon microchips, hmm. uh, computer chips. The good ones. Now, you can get some Chinese microchips that go in like cars so that, uh, you know, they can get blown up in EMPs and all that kind of thing. Um, but the the kind of microchips that go into a computer, one that your laptop or whatever. A those high are quality all... racing drone. <laughs> right. My brother, he talks about this. You know, he's really into racing drones and he's like, oh, yeah. Taiwanese and they make the mm. best chips they hold up you can smash these things at like 60 miles an hour into a tree and he's like ah oh, the, the, the the computer's still good it still works wow. and um, not only does the united states uh use i mean if taiwan got invaded they'd blow up these factories and then these the world would suffer as a result including china so they're trying to make it so that that um that you know that there's it's just impossible for them to be invaded we'll see whether or not china's willing to you know put the put the world back a decade as far as microprocessors go just to get a rock in the pacific but they might just be yep i wonder with the uh, taiwanese so one, one of the problems we have here in like the states is um and speaking like with with gen z for example versus like boomers so like my father in law he's 74 years old and sounds like a boomer Yep. So he was a mechanical engineer. He worked in, you know, the Portsmouth uh, nuclear power plant. He worked in a couple of, he worked in a, like when my, my wife was like five years old, the whole family lived in Italy for like six months because he was tooling up a nuclear power plant in Italy. So this is a guy that's got like, just, uh, he's got the kind of experience that you can't buy. He's got the kind of skills that you can't buy because he he did this job for like 35 years and, and he really enjoyed it. You know, he grew up a farm kid in Vermont, so he earned his dopamine hits by <laughs> by accomplishing a job and, and a task well done. And mm-hmm. then, basically, uh, when I when I married his daughter, we you know we bought this you know house that needed a ton of work, and he was uh, sixty nine years old, sixty eight years old, and he showed up three days a week, and wow. he worked with me you know seven eight hours a day, and you know he didn't climb ladders or really or anything. He didn't want to do that, but I was I was doing the grunt work. You That's know, understandable for and, a sixty nine year old. But, like, I would give him a measurement of a board, and, like, you know, Mark kind of understands the construction of my house a little bit. He's seen it. Uh, and It's a geodesic dome, right? Yeah, yeah, a geodesic dome. And so we had to replace, like, I replaced, like, 200 two-by-sixes. You know, I had to redo the entire roof. We put a 
an uh, an an eave on the roof on your on it so that the rain didn't hit the walls going down. Anyways, but he like just had an answer for everything. Like, hmm. like I would still be, you know, like you know, like a drooling idiot trying to work on his house basically without him. Like he was wow. so valuable. So like all these farmers I deal with, guys that are making hay right now, they're all in their seventies. All the guys that are like raising livestock and cattle, they're all in their seventies. Um, so, and I have, we have, I have another friend, uh, Bob Anderson, uh, he's, uh, Ernie Hancock's buddy. So if you guys, you guys who are listening to the show probably know who Bobby Anderson is. And he worked for Power Verde, um, which is a nuclear power plant there just west of, uh, Phoenix. And like, they're trying to call him back to work from what I understand, because they just don't have any young men or young people like looking to like take on, you know, these jobs. We're going to be, we're going to be in trouble, just the fact that like the, the the staff there isn't like people just aren't interested in doing like working in a nuclear power plant for example just not many of them like there was fifty years ago and same now thing wait, with farming Jay, I I don't want to um I I agree with you and I have the same um you know concerns that you do but I also have a concern that manufacturers and plants these days aren't willing to invest in people coming in. They're not willing to take a kid at 16 or 18 or 21 and begin training him to be the engineer that your father-in-law is. Right. Um, they, they want him to come completely, you know, packaged up and ready to go so that they can teach him a little bit so that he's ready. You know, re- what they don't want to do is, is they don't want to go in and do that babysitting service that um, so long ago they were willing to do. Now, I'm not saying kids today are the same as kids were in 1960. Far from it. But I am saying that if they want people who are loyal to America, because right now, if you want to hire STEM, you're going to hire somebody who would not traditionally have looked like an American. Right. Then what I was getting to with these folks from Taiwan, like, for example, you know, are there 30-year-olds in Taiwan that, you know, have these skills that, like, America's 70-year-olds have, for example? And, you know, and, and the thing is, too, is, like, so my my father-in-law's generation, uh, and, and even, like, my generation, sort of, but, like, my father-in-law's generation you know they were they knew how to drive a car at 13 years old they knew how to adjust the points they knew how to change spark plugs they knew how to change a tire at 13 years old his his uh grandfather you know at 9 years old knew how to lube the axles on the horse drawn wagon knew how to fit the harness on you know on the horse knew how to put a shoe correctly on a horse um you know my wife has no idea how to use a clutch Right. Yeah. And she just and and uh, and like, you know, you know, what a, they consider a manual transmission as a millennial anti theft device. And, <laughs> and, and, Matt, and he, Matt taught me how to use one like uh, last year. But I still I kind of think I need more practice. But I also learned how to jump a car two days ago or yesterday. And that was pretty easy. That was so, really easy. But so, I just never done it before. I know how to get a boyfriend. So right. Well, I <laughs> I kind of think that that's one of the things about your your wife. Your wife can do a lot of things, Jay. Oh yes, um, yes. The fact that she can't, uh, you know, uh, you know, bloob a, a an axle on a horse drawn carriage might be, um, <laughs> you know, might be something she's leaving for her husband. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I 
that might be a bad example, but like what I was, what I was saying. So like today, nowadays, like I know so many young men in their twenties that have no interest in driving a car. You know, they don't want a car. They don't have a car, Uh, especially like the ones that all grew up in the cities. And like, there's a handful of these guys from California who moved here for the free state project that like, they never drove a car until they got to New Hampshire. Um, And they're terrified of, of, uh, of these cars. And, but like, you know the the kid in the sixties. You know when when my father in law was you know like a teenage boy, he was just if he could get on anything that had tight you know, a tractor, a car, whatever. I mean, he was just really really eager to do that. The young boy, young, young men today, they're not eager to like you know get on a tractor or you know and and most of them aren't. Like some of the rural kids and the homeschool kids are, are into it. But, you know, they didn't see – a lot of them aren't getting this example when they're, when they're like, three, four years old. Like, my kids, you know, they, my, my three-year-old daughter can totally operate the forklift that I have from my lap. Wow. She can totally operate my John Deere 310 backhoe. You know, it's so got an automatic well, – no, she can't totally operate it, but she can do all the hand controls. You know, she, she can't reach the clutch or the brakes. Uh, <laughs> but, like, she can steer it, like, with precision. She can – we cannot – you know, I let her use a joystick, and we put a round bale spike on the on the front bucket, and she can totally like pick up the round bales with really good precision. Mm. Uh, in my homeschool co op, there's uh, there's this uh, uh, Warner who's six now, but Warner this summer at five years old. It's actually Jeremy Kaufman's son. Um, he's sitting on my lap in in the backhoe, and he's operating the joystick. He's shifting it forward and reverse, just like my daughter and. But the, those kids are like really thirsty and into that stuff when they're that age. Because they're homeschooled, the but, Kaufman kids. But when they're um, when you know when they're thirsty for that kind of stuff, and then the parents just pacify them with an internet device, for example, which has kind of happened with all these Gen Zers had, you know, uh, high speed internet available to them, and it and it became a um, you know a, a pacifier and a babysitter, you know, you know for those kids. It it kind of why it, it it just. They never got wired into their brain like, hey, I want to drive the tractor, for example. Right. I think that the, it's I think you're you say it all the time. And I think you're exactly right. It's the dopamine hits is that, you know, if you've if you've got an iPad and you're playing Fruit Ninja, everything else sucks. Yes. <laughs> it just sucks. And it's true. Um, you know, I'm like my son can do the things that you say that you talk about. Um, he's been through your man camp and. Thank you for that. But I had to drag him in many cases through all of this. You know, I mean, he started driving with me, same, same as your kid, you know, at like six years old and he would sit on my lap and we'd drive up the driveway and it was a longer driveway. So he got a little bit of driving time and we'd switch over. And, but I mean, I think that I, I, I think this generation's smart in a way it's a hell of a lot nicer just to sit in the back seat and let mom take you wherever you want to go. Wait, so your son who's like 15, like even now he doesn't want to drive? He doesn't particularly want to drive. Hmm. He does, but he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, like why why would he want to drive himself to school or hmm. to, you know, the uh, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons meetup well, or whatever it is. Well, that's making me feel more millennial, I guess, cuz I feel like everyone my age including myself really wanted to drive ourselves to school and just there were a lot of like, kids. Look, I in, have keys. You in know? your in your group, there were a lot of kids that wanted to ride um, single gear bicycles. Um, you know, the hipster, the phenomenon that went on the BMX probably. bike. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and they'd they'd wear flannels and a have a beard and a little um, beanie toque, and you know they they didn't want cars, but. 
I think that it's gotten worse. And and a cultural difference is like with you know Bonnie, for example. You, you didn't grow up in like an urban area, did you? Or a city? I grew up in it. I no. kind of had in both. I grew up in a huge suburb of San Antonio, and with a huge class. And then the last year of high school, moved to the middle of absolute nowhere. So like when I'm thinking of like my bigger class in in close to San Antonio, I don't think of them as not wanting to drive, but they're more like skateboarding and stuff like that too but i still think they also wanted to drive so was it was your there a bit of a car culture because so with more like sub, suburban people have to drive cars for example mm-hmm. and a lot of people who are you know, versus city people who are riding the subway or getting in a taxi or or whatever or just walking to work the kids don't really see their parents like driving the cars if they're much if they're growing up in the cities yeah i guess i wouldn't know about that because even san antonio like you have to drive a car it's just not that type of a city so 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 you grew up watching your parents for example drive cars yeah if you were like in la for example um that was probably like less happening with you know uh and the idea of driving a car in la from what i understand i've never been there is is utterly miserable like uh, well it's miserable but almost everybody does it in in like new york city my um only friend who's about my age who doesn't have a driver's license and never has is from new york city so yeah i know they don't really drive there new york city's difficult for cars our host uh aria is a millennial and she doesn't like driving in big cities now she'll drive but she's not a fan of Yeah, but she's from mississippi so i could see that because like i'm I had to get used really fast when I moved back to San Antonio to driving in a crazy amount of cars moving around and like big highways and stuff like that. And I'm like part millennial, I guess. So I'm fine with that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just think I think kids even younger than me are the only ones that just don't want to drive when they have the opportunity. Because like when I was in high school, anybody who had a car was cool because like you could be picked up to go hang out with your other friends and not be like stuck at your house. I, I think people were less stuck to the internet back then even though facebook was around like i don't know when i was in high school in like 2013 through 15 603-283-6160 you can get in on the conversation with us if you call that number it's free talk live more coming up This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash, digital cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction, and its features ensure Dash is undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible, and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chainlocks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. Yeah. 
radio that you control, 603-283-6160. And I want to tell you that this hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash, Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization, or DAO, that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by the treasury. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. And thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn more about Dash. Dash.org. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay Noon. And it's me, Mark Edge, remotely. And Libertariat here in the chat server on Otis, I mean, Element that we have, has told me the article that we're discussing is called Why Doesn't Gen Z Want to Be All It Can Be? Because the Army's recruiting slogan used to be, be all that you can be. Be all that you can be. That was really it? army oh wow or something to that effect i'm sorry i'm not a great singer but that's it's the, <laughs> the general notion i hadn't heard of that before so i was just i thought it was just that i, I thought they just made it up and they were that pearl <laughs> war i guess um, well the 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 first thing that um it, it was associated with this other marketing line is we do more by 6 a.m or 8 a.m i'm not exactly sure 9 a.m than most people do all day and, you know, that's how you get to be all that you can be in the army. Yeah, I, I guess so. Oh, and you also have to support killing people just because your government tells you to. Not in the 80s. <laughs> I mean, like in the 80s, all they did was invade Grenada. I thought that they had, I don't know, they, I they didn't in, have some stuff that killed people. I think people. in like 88 or something, there was the first Persian Gulf conflict or something, but it wasn't. It wasn't real. Um, it wasn't wasn't much of a, a war, I guess. I, I definitely judge people a lot less for joining the army in the eighties and even the mid nineties, or le- judge them less for joining the military back then than now. Nowadays, after nine eleven, it's just so obvious how bad it is, and there's it's just so easy to get on the internet and learn things that I kind of judge you. Well, I mean, they get people to sign up at seventeen, and they promise them the world. And and in many cases, they don't deliver and they certainly don't tell you that you're going to have limbs that are going to get blown off or, you know, nothing. And they don't talk about how the, um, you know, what you lose in a war isn't worth the loss, hmm. that whatever it is, um, you can just go back war after war after war and you can say, you know, this death, it didn't mean anything. It wasn't it, it didn't move the, the needle forward. You know, I'm sure there's some amazing guys that moved the needle forward and that their death was meaningful in a war. But the vast majority of them, it just doesn't make a big difference. And one of the problems they're saying um, here in this article, uh, if, if it's the same one that I read, is that 
Gen Z wants to get paid. And, you know, if they're asking for my life, they're asking me to put my life on the line. And we're talking about, you know, some paycheck a little uh, bigger than McDonald's. I'd rather be a fry cook than a bullet catcher. Yeah. And Gen Z is pretty soft. Um, <laughs> like I was a thir- having a conversation with a 13-year-old young man uh, the other day, and he he's a little soft. And I'm like, how many push-ups can you do? And he just looks at me like, you know, he didn't want to answer me. I'm like, so, you know, you should be able to do like, you know, at least 10, I would think. He's like, uh, no, I can't do a push-up. Well, and uh, like, really? And I'm like, you got to start doing some push-ups, man. Uh, you know, yeah. something. Oh, I couldn't do push-ups. I probably, I don't even know if I could do a push-up right now because Ian and I kind of lagged working out like two weeks before he got sent to jail. And now all of a sudden it's been like three months or something. Um, no, two months since he went to jail and I haven't worked out the whole time. But I had to start off doing wall push-ups because I just thought it was stupid to work out or something i don't know if that's a gen z thing i thought it was stupid to work out and then it isn't all gen z it isn't all generation like i said uh, you know before it's like cultural hmm. so like the kids that grew up around you know farming you know the kid that went to grandpa's farm or was raised on a farm for example uh or was in the woods you know had some forest land you know right next to where they live they were or they were doing firewood for example because they were heating with firewood those kids were always chop, chopping trees down. They were stacking wood, stacking hay. And like, you know, but definitely when I was like 13 years old, I could do like 60 push-ups, no problem. Uh, you know, when I was 17 years old, I could squat 300 pounds in high school. But, you know, I was, you know, but and me and all my buddies that were like, you know, working, doing the farm stuff, cleaning stalls, pushing wheelbarrows, like with a couple hundred pounds of, you know, manure. You know, when I was a teenager, we had like 27 stalls at the farm. And they all had to be cleaned every single day. And uh, so, you know, my we were always recruiting other teenage kids to help. And those kids that were doing that work, you know, they got strong. And, and they were pretty solid. Well, that definitely wasn't me. And, and yeah, that it does have a lot more to do with culture than, like, just generation. In fact, generation itself, it doesn't mean a lot to most people because, like, there's no, nothing that you can say about every single person from any certain generation, but, yeah, but I, I mean, I do feel some, when, when, when somebody talks to me, like, you know, somebody talks to me about, Hey, I had to go change the channel for my dad while he was watching TV <laughs> uh, versus, you know, a kid that grew up playing fruit ninja. I think there's uh, you know, there's, there's something there. You, you know, that there's this sort of difference and, I'm not willing to say that there's there's not many generations alive that are hard as leather left. You know, the ones that were getting a little older and, you know, I mean, Gen X and we're latchkey kids. I mean, we could handle ourselves, but a lot of them didn't work that hard. I mean, Jay knows far more about engines, for instance, than I do. And I think that's a that's just where he's from and you know, what he learned, and he's got to be 10 years younger than me. And I would say joining the military is something that keeps you from learning, like, actually important skills. Like, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. Everything is very, maybe it was a show with me and and you and Joa um, from a couple weeks ago, but we were talking about how the military kind of, like, you don't learn everything about something. You don't don't go and become an, an actual engineer. Wait, what am I trying to say? Not engineer, like, somebody works on... Or like electrician, you just learn like your one little electrician 
skill or a couple of skills. Right. And then they have the next person. Compartmentalize. That's so the word. Each guy has his own specific skill or trade that he does. And 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 that's um, you know, a very much, you know, a team mentality it, it and it fails. Uh, if you know a few of the guys are missing, or many of the guys are missing, it's kind of like the slaughterhouses when they started, uh, you know, doing the COVID testing, and and when the uh, the the undocumented folks who work at these big corporate, you know, mega slaughterhouses that are doing like ten thousand hogs a day, uh, when ten percent of the workforce doesn't show up, you, you, it goes down to like twenty percent capacity because you know all these guys have these specialized. Uh, things that they do in that slaughterhouse and the, uh, and the other guys don't know how to like take up that slack and do that. But also when it comes to like farming, for example, farmers and loggers, uh, fishermen, uh, also these guys have to do like everything. They got to like fix the engine. They got to like, you know, doctor the cow. They got to, you know, go out there and, you know, work the land and plant the seeds and, you know, whatever, you know, they got to do like everything. They got to fix the roof because they generally can't afford to hire someone to do fix the roof. You know, they got to maybe do some plumbing and some electrical work because they just got to get it done right now. And so that, that, that's kind of how I grew up, you know, just learning how to do all these things or, you know, right there with my dad, for example. So that's definitely something that I feel like people who have any sort of uh, just a regular job nowadays, they can't just learn to do everything because they've got to do their job and then they pay other people to do other stuff. So I don't know if it's necessarily bad. Like I'm I can't say it's bad. Like I don't I'm not a jack of all trades, you know, but I, I just think that that's how society has caused us to be now. Yeah, kind of like insects. Insects, kind of like insects, compartmentalize. Each insect Compart- has compartmentalize. Yeah. yeah, has its own little job. I always thought it was kind of weird. That's like the but, Utah motto is "worker bee." <laughs> That's that is scary. It's weird. Um, you know what I'm concerned with is is that America isn't producing certain types of laborers, and you know what's going to happen. I don't know. I, I don't have any answers for you as to how it's going to happen. Should but, just open the borders. That's why I'd like to import some of these Taiwanese folks. It sounds like, uh, you know, those guys are there and they're young. Well, I like the the Taiwanese thing. I'd say about uh, border opening is is that you've got to be prepared whenever you make a political, you know, they're they're doing this right now in Washington. They're trying to figure things out. And nobody's going to go for the libertarian solution to everything. And, And there's some good reasons not to. Um, I would say the good reason not to make a libertarian choice is because we don't live in a libertarian world. And if you just open up the border and say, hey, come on, everybody in here, vote and take all the welfare there is. Yeah. And you've, you've really got to say things like, hey, um, you come across this border, you're not getting a penny of U.S. taxpayer money. You come across that across that border and you'll never be able to vote in a U.S. election. You can send an absentee ballot back home and I'm fine with that. But you're not voting here. And that, you know, I think that those are some reasonable solutions that a worker coming from Honduras, for instance, would be like, I can never vote and I will, you know, never get a a penny from the United States government. No problem. I'm coming. And you'd find that the people who want to come at that point aren't the, the layabouts that are just going to you know, take a government check or get a little card that uh, gets loaded with, with money. They're going to they're gonna work. And when I worked in Colorado from like uh, 2013 to 2016, 
I worked with a whole bunch of these guys that were probably some of the best people I got to know. In fact, they were they were far better, they had better morals, better work ethic, you know, than like most of the white guys I was working with, you know, the, the Mexican fellas. Um, you know, they, they would show me pictures of their grandma. They would show me pictures of their kids, how proud they, you know, like the, the one guy, Julio, his son, seven years old, and he's running the skid loader, stacking <laughs> hay on a semi truck, the four by four by eight foot bales. And like the kid could do it like just as good as any adult could. Wow. And, and they were very proud of that stuff to where the third and fourth generation Mexican guys and even the white guys, they were like, oh, man, I'm going to spend my tax return on a you know set of rims for my, you know, Pinto or whatever. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, l- l- look at this hoe I slayed, you know, from Tinder, mm-hmm. you know, kind of things. And like but the, but the Mexican guys that were undocumented that were there to work hard. Um, you know, I, I often say it's the kind of guy I would want my daughter to marry because they just got good cultural ethics and morals and uh and 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 their priority was their family it wasn't like consumerism and you know you know nonsense yeah that's i say that most of the illegal immigrants that i've met from i think i've only ever met any from mexico like i a lot of people like to say there's all these south americans coming over the border but i lived in san antonio texas and was out of my house every single day way more than i am here and i only ever met mexican illegal immigrants and all of them are like about family and they were about working really hard and stuff like that. And I never met anybody who was just a layabout. And the other thing is I wasn't so libertarian and I looked into how to get my Mexican illegal immigrant ex welfare at one point. And at least it wasn't very obvious. I couldn't figure out any way to get somebody without a social security card welfare because he was just working so hard doing like stupid jobs and it's just like I don't know I've it during covid everything went really crazy and he had to like get fired from a job but it doesn't matter I just think that people really think that there are all these people coming from Mexico just to sit around sit around in a ugly city instead of their you know place they're from that's way more beautiful with organic food and their grandma that they care about and they just want to sit on a couch here in an ugly city in the United States. And I just don't really think that's the case. Like maybe well, if I think they they're coming um, and at least in Honduras, uh, what they what they complain of is, is that there's a lot of Hondurans leaving and that the best of their labor force hmm. is going to the United States. Um, now, that's a good sign, right? Like the United States is getting the best of the Honduran labor force. And that hmm. would be something that I would be looking forward to. But I, th- I think the easiest way to get welfare is what, from what I've heard is, is um, to have a kid, right? And then the kid gets the welfare. Hmm. And the, hid- the kid's an American citizen getting the welfare and, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that's wrong, too. Um, I don't think American taxpayers should have to pay just because somebody's had a kid on uh, ter- terrestrial soil. I think that's uh, outrageous, to be honest. But at that point they're just taking the money that they're earning and they're going to send more back to, you know, Abuela in uh, Honduras, which is, it's a reasonable thing to do. I mean, there's nothing wrong. If you're putting out a bowl of cat food every morning and then you're getting upset that stray cats are coming by and eating your cat food, you're insane. And it's not the cat's fault. Yeah. As, as long as we have welfare here, we're going to have, People overdosing from drugs and all, and you know that are on welfare because because yeah. all the people who are overdosing, uh, all all the first responders I've asked and said, hey, uh, out of all the people that are near Narcan or dead bodies you're picking up, are they all on welfare? And 
100% of the time now, the answer is yes. They all have an EBT card, every one of them. And what we end up finding is one guy said, we don't find an EBT card right away, but once we put all the uh, information into the, you know, they're doing a death certificate kind of thing, then they find out that they were receiving benefits from Health and Human Services. So basically, right here in America, we can't have an open border right now with the welfare program. I mean, the welfare is a problem. So if we got rid of all the welfare, um, you're not going to have drug addicts overdosing, you know, after, you know, this round that's out there kills themselves. Uh, and you're not going to have people coming into this country specifically for the welfare programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, welfare is the problem ultimately. And if we just got rid of welfare, that'd be fix that'd fix so many problems. It would be ridiculous after probably a, a, a time of like unrest or whatever, like chaos, and then it, it would be better. Well, what would happen is all these people who are essentially useless right now that are collecting welfare, you know, just getting high because, you know, that that's what they choose to do and they're incentivized to do it through the welfare program. Mm-hmm. Um, they will either die or they will be like, wow, I need to actually take care of myself and I'm hungry now. And, you know, and, and I, I believe, yeah, if you cut out cut welfare out here in New Hampshire, like because everybody can carry a gun in New Hampshire and the cities, you know, aren't like crazy and there's not and it is like very pretty much no violence in New Hampshire compared to anywhere else in the country. Uh, you know, it, what would happen is if these guys got a little stupid and started doing some stuff like, you know, breaking and entering or trying to rob, you know, rob the liquor store, they're just going to get shot and this problem's going to take care of itself real quick. But New York City, where law-abiding citizens can't even defend themselves, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there would be some serious mayhem. Um, it would be like, you know, one of these uh, zombie movies where they're just all going crazy, all the, yeah. all, you know, all the tweakers because they couldn't get the money. I hate seeing those videos of people just running into stores and stealing stuff. I have no clue where that kind of thing is happening, but um, places you can't own guns, LA, you know, San Francisco, New York city, Chicago, Baltimore. Did you see the Sikh guy that got in trouble for hitting somebody with a broomstick? And I mean, it's not even a, I mean, it's a broomstick. You, the the thin kind, I mean, if you really hit him, broke. Yeah. yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, well, in California. I saw that video, but I didn't know he got in trouble. Yeah, they were yeah, they... charging him for like, I don't know, assault and battery or something. And he was just yeah, defending assaulting. the store. The guy was going around destroying everything, though, or at least stealing. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. it a while assaulting ago. Assaulting an awful person. Yeah. Um, you know, like it, it used to be you could you could hit a guy with a stick if he stole your stuff. Yeah. But not in America now. Well, um, some some places in America, there's like you have stand your ground. So this isn't legal advice, but definitely some places, if somebody walked into your store and started acting threatening and crazy and you felt you were in harm and you pulled out your gun and you put a bullet in them, um, you know, the police are going to come and the corner is going to come mop up the mess. They're going to say, thank you, sir. We're sorry for your problems. And, and you go walk away to where like New York City, the guy comes in there or California, the guy comes in there, trashes the place, pulls out a gun and you shoot him. You're going away. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like uh, there's uh, you know, there's not much one can do in certain places. I, I don't know what it's like in California, but I can say I visited a couple of years ago. It was pre-COVID, so a few years ago. And my uncle lives out there, and we're like, well, let's go to San Francisco um, because what do tourists do? And he's like, um, he and his family are like, are you kidding? <laughs> no way. We wow. don't want to go to San Francisco. Why don't you? Why don't we go to um, the the aquarium in Monterey? And you know, it was very nice. We got to see some dolphins and some otters and some seals and stuff, and that was you know great. But uh, apparently, Californians don't want to take visitors to San Francisco anymore, and that used to be the place to go. Wow, that's crazy. 
Well, I don't know what, it, what how we got onto that topic at, at all, but we were talking about how anti-war is Gen Z. And I want to get into the numbers here. At a, an event I had never heard of before called the 2023 Reagan National Defense Forum, they apparently show people the results of this survey of American opinion, and it showed that overall there is growing support, public support for defending Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. The survey also revealed, though, high levels of support for continued assistance to Ukraine and Israel. It found that most Americans are confident in the armed forces, support increases to the defense budget, and view the U.S. military as superior to China's. As Roger Sakim, director of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Institute, put it, our survey shows that Americans remain resolved, like President Reagan was, to support those defending freedom around the world. Yet the survey's results also forecast dark clouds on the horizon, according to this person who wrote this, because they love the military and um, war. Vast and expanding gaps between how the youngest and oldest Americans think about international affairs point to contentious times ahead. Consider Taiwan. More than 75% of those over 65 years old say they would support economic sanctions, relocating American military assets, and sending military equipment if the Chinese invade. Less right. than War is old men talking and young men dying. Hmm. And it's crazy. Like, that's not a new. Nope. It's not even a new saying. Yeah. But it's way worse now. So, over 75% of those over 65 just support that stuff. But less than 50% of those under 30 favor these same responses. Well, and also, you know, so the the younger generation has, you know, been easily able to see what the real effects of war are due to the communication we have that we didn't have 30, 40 years ago. The fact that, you know, you, you get in, for example, with uh, the Ukraine thing, there's all these videos that came out of Ukraine because every soldier, every civilian has is a, is a journalist now, mm-hmm. essentially. They all have a, a camera on their phone and everybody's got a phone. So, you know, this is, you know, not like in, you know, Vietnam where there was, or Korea War, there was very little instant media that came mm. out and everything was super, super censored. Yeah. You know, whatever came out of those because it had to go through these channels and the only way you got to see it was on like NBC or ABC or something. And today it's just, you know, it's an Instagram reel or whatever. That's so true. Um, the government was able to control what what people believed was going on in Vietnam so much more. Like we were at about Henry, it's out, was that his name? Kissinger? Henry Kissinger? Yep. Apparently, he was very influential in making people believe that, oh, this is what's going on in Vietnam, whether it was true or not, just to get, I think it was Lyndon B. Johnson elected, whoever it was that he was working with. No, no, it was Nixon. He wanted to get Nixon elected. So more people died because they supported the war because of what Kissinger said. And nowadays, it'd be a lot harder to do that type of a thing because people have access to phones in their pockets and um, the Internet. 
So And people are also understanding, too, more than ever, the only reason all these wars are even happening that America is meddling in and starting and, you know, they're 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 funding their enemy a decade ahead of time. So they have an enemy. And the the number one reason for war is to keep the U.S. dollar as world world reserve currency. So every country that becomes a terrorist nation, you know, previously said we're not going to trade in dollars or we're trying to use gold or something else. And I just don't think a lot of people my age want to go die over that, over keeping the U.S. dollar on top and having oil. 603-283-6160. You can get in on the conversation with us. It's Free Talk Live. More coming up. Wake up and begin to- the insatiable desire for freedom. We have been enslaved for all our lives. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. Radio that you control, and 603-283-6160 is the phone number that you can call to get in on the conversation with us. That's 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie, Jay, and Mark. And Jay has an announcement he'd like to talk to you about. He's going to be at Anarchapulco this year. So yes, from February 11th to, to the 16th, in beautiful Acapulco, Mexico, uh, is the Anarchapulco Conference, which is just a collection of anarchists talking about, you know, basically helping you be a better anarchist, uh, let's say. So I'm going to be there uh, talking about investing in our posterity. I'm going to be talking about the solutions uh, to, uh, you know, our, for a generation next to earn their dopamine hits so they're useful, competent adults uh, that have a drive and a desire to, you know, want to just do things and get things done and have pride of accomplishment. Um, and also there's a, an event right afterwards, which I will be attending at and uh, hopefully presenting some kind of man camp workshop called Agroforco. That goes on from the uh, 16th to the 25th. But go to anarchopoco.com and uh, check out, uh, you know, uh, what's going on? There's going to be a bunch of great speakers. Uh, and <clears throat> if you use coupon code J uh, at at uh, checkout or in, uh, when you uh, order your tickets, you'll get a 10% discount. That's anarchopoco.com and coupon code J. And it, it's going to be a great time. I'm really looking forward to it. You'll be able to meet me, my wife, and my kids. We'll all be down there for it. Excellent. Uh, Mark's been to Anarchopoco. I've never been there. They change it up, though. Yeah, it's a great event, or at least when I went, um, I wouldn't be able to say what it's like now. It's been uh, a few years, but it sounds like it's a lot of fun. I get the emails, and it looks great. I'd love to go this year, but it looks like uh, 
you know, as far as family stuff goes, I, I, that won't be possible. Yeah, they do it outdoors now instead of in a giant hotel. And that looks kind of nice. Yep. Well, moving on from the article, we were talking last segment, the last segment about Gen Z, the youngest generation. Well, I guess the second youngest because children are something else. They're like alpha generation. But Gen Z is very anti-war compared to the boomers and Gen X and millennials. That's what we're talking about. But moving on, Jay brought in this article from ZeroHedge.com. And it's titled, I'm going to red pill you about vegetable oils. And do you guys know what red pilling means? Could you explain it to the listeners? You'd like me to explain it? Sure. So red pilling is, you know, comes from the matrix. Mm -hmm. You can take the blue pill and you can go back to sleep in the matrix. Or you could take the red pill and you can be awake Mm -hmm. and realize all the stuff that's going on. And the the reality is there's a lot of people who cannot handle the red pill. Yeah. So basically the red pill's the truth and some people just can't handle the truth. And you know this red pill about these um seed oils, I mean seed oils are like super destructive to your health. I I agree. For a multitude of reasons and part of my investing in our posterity lecture series that I'm working on is talking about seed oil and health and you know n- nutrition from a standpoint of you know, when you have young calves and young piglets, is you want to feed them like really good, nutritiously dense food. And then what, what I'm noticing with a lot of parents, and I've noticed this for years, is like a lot of parents will, you know, give their kids garbage like cereal. There is no good cereal you can feed your kids as far yeah. as I'm concerned. All cereal is just processed, refined garbage and it has a bunch of seed oils in it. And it has a bunch of extra added um, iron and... Folic acid, yeah. and, which is really bad stuff. And then In a bad form. You can, you, can take a, you can crush up cereal, take a magnet, and get a little piece of metal. <laughs> yeah, you can, get a, lot, you can go, get a lot of iron dust. Did you see a video of that? Yeah, you, you can look that up. Huh. Oh, yeah. So should. So like the augers in the grain mill, for example, you know, they're all metal and they wear as they're moving, you know, and then when they, so, so they auger the grain, you know, the grain gets augered in, in the, in the combine, it gets augered from the combine to the seed, seed tender, it gets augered, you know, from the seed tender into a truck, it gets dropped into a, a, an auger at the grain mill and it gets augered up these elevators, all metal on metal and and they wear and they fatigued. And, you know, one of my jobs when I worked in Colorado was like the, the combine, the seed tender, you know, we were constantly replacing wear plates in them. Well, I thought because it was they just, would wear out. That was just the stuff that they added. I thought that well, that was well. I mean, the it, quote unquote it, en- enriched. Yeah. It, it Maybe they added. do add it, and they just call it a feature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and there is all kinds of stuff added too. But I tell you, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of metal shavings, metal dust, metal particulate mm-hmm. in anything that goes through a commercial grain mill. Wow, that's that's kind of creepy now that I know it's from that. But I'm definitely very red-pilled on vegetable oils. What about you, Mark? Uh, you know, if I could just cut added sugar, then I'd work on the next thing. But I've been trying to do that for a while. Let, let, let me. So this article, I didn't really read the entire article yet. But one one of the first things that really woke me up about seed oils is... So Crisco, for example... Is referred to as diabetes in a bottle. Hmm. So your your body uh, reproduces red blood cells. The most cells that get reproduced are red blood cells. They get changed out all the time. And red red blood cells carry nutrients 
you know, uh, around to your body, bring nutrients to your cells, and they also remove waste. So when you're consuming uh, anything that's like fried in seed oil, anything that has a hydrogenated oil. So this is basically all of your fast foods. Anything that's, you know, there. you go to the like, you know, even a local mom and pop deli and they got a grill there, a griddle, and they're dumping Crisco on it or shortening or something or spraying it with Pam. Uh, this is the hydrogenated oil. Well, when your body consumes this hydrogenated oil, it actually uses the hydrogenated oil as cell building blocks for your red cells. So your cell membranes are essentially made from the hydrogenated oils instead of like the cholesterol. Uh, so the like butter, cholest- like if they use butter. Right, butter or meat or whatever. But like instead of like man, you know, real cholesterol that's like, you know, from animal fat, for example, um, or even like, you know, avocado or coconut oil, which is, you know, very stable and, you know, pretty good. They're not really considered seed oils because uh, they don't, uh, well, for a multitude of reasons, they can be just pressed. Uh, they, you know, a lot of like your canola oil and stuff is, and um, <clears throat> soybean oils and things like that. They're speller pressed. Isn't that bad? Well, it, it's like a chemical reaction. Like oh. they, like they use um, uh, like uh, petroleum based chemicals to sort of extract. Uh, you know the, the to refine the oil into a mm. usable. You know, um, like what your food grade oil isn't. Uh, anyways but anyways when you're eating fried uh, 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 fried food once a day uh, or even a couple times a week your body is now manufacturing its red blood cells from the cell membranes of this hydrogenated oil and what happens is your red blood cells can no longer absorb sugar hmm. like it's really hard for them to absorb sugar so See, what I, I just to explain kind of to the listeners what it, what this all means. What I learned just to make it really simple is sugar's not really bad for you. I'm red pull, pilled on sugar, unlike Mark apparently. Sugar's not really bad for you if you're not eating the seed oils. And I have been subsisting on nothing but um, our friend Lori, who is on the show sometimes, um, baked goods and ice cream. And stuff that's really easy to eat because I'm just like not don't have very much energy and I have all of Ian's work to do. I'm eating so much sugar and I'm teetering between two digits and one digits in weight in in pounds. And I'm not fat. I think that it's all about you can eat Hold sugar. On. You mean two digits and three digits in weight? Yeah. T- what did I say? Two digits. One. Well, okay. Sorry. No. Nine, <laughs> Somewhere between eleven pounds. and nine pounds. No. Sorry. <laughs> sometimes I'm ninety-nine pounds, and I'm not fat. While I eat all this sugar, it's because I try not to eat as many seed oils as possible. I was accidentally eating some a couple weeks ago, and that was pissing me off. But I, I do want to go more uh, about this real quick. I well, think you should hold, hold on, and, hold on yeah. and we'll go to the caller because I don't want to make him wait too long. Um, unscreened caller, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Well, I like to chew bubble gum and talk about Morazon, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Mm. <laughs> what do you have to say about Morazon, and what is that? So Ciudad Morazon, also known as Bootstrap City, is the leading free private city in the world. So this is a privately owned city that has the autonomy that a government would typically have. So that includes tax powers, private police, private roads. Who will build the roads? The private cities will. Hmm. Excellent. So, so this is in Honduras, right? And Mark, right. you've been so there. 
this is Alex, my good friend, and he, <laughs> I told, asked him to listen, and he can't help himself <laughs> to call in about Morazan. And I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I have a, an article here about Morazan that I um, wanted to share. So, you know, it's a, it's a nice lead-in. But Alex, I think it's worth mentioning. What's the difference between a private city and any other city that people might be talk, uh, thinking about? Uh, a typical city is run democratically, and you have no stability in what will happen. Your property taxes could change, the zoning regulations. Maybe some pandemic happens, and all of a sudden you can't go to your gym anymore without wearing a mask because the city said so. So that's the typical city. It's run by democratic means, by public officials where a private city is a, a landowner runs the city. And um, what happens if you get somebody you don't like in a private city? I mean, people here in the Free State Project in New Hampshire, um, they think to themselves, well, you know, we, we really can't help who comes to uh, be part of our project. But what happens in Morazan or Bootstrap if that happens? Yeah, so... We have zero homeless people Hmm. in Bootstrap City, and this will always be the case because the only way you can live here is if you rent here. Hmm. That makes sense. There's no no welfare in Morazan City. See, that's in my dream private city in New Hampshire that I talk about a lot. I'm always saying I will just ignore the federal and the state government and create Bonnie's Barbie Dream City with no welfare and then there wouldn't be homeless people there just wouldn't be because what would they do there just sit around actually suffering no they sit around on the streets doing drugs and stuff because they have welfare right i mean somebody in morazan or bootstrap however you want to call it um they they can get away with being uh, lazy as long as you allow them to now, certainly people suffer and, um, you know, people take care of their families and things like that. But, um, you know, these nation states have to take care of <laughs> things like poverty, whereas, um, you know, these these little units that we're calling private cities, they let people in who merit being let in. It's a contractual relationship. It's everyone here is the product of a win-win interaction. The renter said, you know, these houses are very affordable. You provide high safety. There's no crime in Morazan. You can leave your door unlocked. None of the bikes are locked in the city. Yeah, you have a wall. Hold on. This is worth pointing out is that Morazan is right in the center of one of the most dangerous places in Honduras, which was one of at one point the most dangerous countries on the planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like the the founder of this, um, Massimo, it's not like he picked an easy place. He wanted to show that the ideas of liberty work and they work for everybody. And this is the most important part that I, I've been so terrible at communicating up to this point. You don't need libertarians to move to be successful. You just need to set up a libertarian city to start with, and everybody becomes a libertarian. And would you say that's mostly due to the wall is why it's so safe? 
Yeah, I think that, well, so the wall's mandated by the government. I don't know what would have happened hmm. um, in another that. circumstance, but the, the wall was mandated by the law. And the purpose of the wall is basically so it's easier to commit crime outside of Morazan, um, which how many acres is Morazan, Alex? So it's 45 hectares and the law is required because it's a duty free zone. So because goods imported directly into Morazan have no tax, the government wants a wall to prevent smuggling. Imagine you can just bring in TVs and iPhones and everything else without paying any import tax, something not possible in America, by the way, then you can have a much lower cost of living. And the government does not want everyone to have this lower cost of living if it comes at the expense of their cut. They want their cut of all those goods, and thus they say build a wall. And there is 2.471 acres to a hectare. And what did he say? It was 45 acres, so it was roughly a, I mean, 45 hectares would be roughly um, a little over 100 acres. 100, a little 100 acres, yeah. So 100 acres is mandated by, again, the law in Honduras. And, um, you know, the, the idea is, is that you have a, enough space to provide housing for people. And, Alex, I hear they're building. Now, have they... When you say they're building, are they planning to build again in Morazan? Concurrently, there's 64 units, and those things were filled up last I heard. Um, here, Mark. We don't what's have that? Uh, planning departments in Morazan. There's no p- building permits, zoning departments, none of that. We don't plan to build. We just build, and building we are. So Can- every day, there's trucks moving in and out, carrying in dirt. They're bulldozing ground to make it nice and level. And within about six months, we should have another 40 units or so. How long is it? And how many people live in 64 units? 200 people. About 200. So call it 350 in 40 units, just round numbers. Well, almost double our population in the next. I would say in the next year, we should more than double the population because we'll, there will be more construction next year. I've heard all kinds of bad things going on in Honduras about, you know, the government's going to shut down. The government did shut down Zetis. They voted out the law. They did all kinds of things. What ha- What's going on with that? Uh, you must have been reading fake news. <laughs> the well, they did get rid of the law, right? Yes, so the the big thing that was done is they repealed the Zedi law. And for those that don't understand the Zedis and the authority, that sounds significant. But there's three levels of security for the Zedi. It's perhaps the most secure uh, freedom-related law in the world. There is the law, which is the easiest part to remove. It's just a normal act of Congress. There's the constitutional amendment. So they amended the Constitution to allow for these special zones. And then there are international treaty obligations, which are even higher than the Constitution. So they repealed the law, but in the repealing of the law, it's grandfathered in for 10 years. So it affects nothing of the existing Zetis. But I and thought, then treaty... I thought there was something that happened, sorry to interrupt, where basically they had to say, okay, we're for sure going to get rid of the law, but they 
ended their session, their congressional session, without doing that, so it was null and void. That's what I thought happened, but it was kind of hard to understand without knowledge of what all is going on there. And that's why Alex is here, because he is one of the foremost experts on this. Hmm. Can people own... Is the constitutional protection. So in Honduras, to repeal a constitutional amendment takes two sessions of the legislature. So you can't just in one year get rid of something in the Constitution. You need two separate sessions of Congress and two, thus two separate years. So in 2022, they repealed the law and started the constitutional repeal process. However, this year, on October 31st, Happy Halloween, the timeline to repeal the constitutional amendment expired. So it's no longer possible to repeal the constitutional amendment without another two sessions. So they'd have to, in the 2024 and 2025 Congress, vote to repeal it. But if they weren't able to repeal it now, it's far less likely they'll be able to repeal it in the future. Pretty much zero chance. Like most countries, amending the Constitution is extremely difficult, and it's that way on purpose. Hmm. Right, and... What I think is great about this uh, project um, is that this is a one man's idea, and his idea is that libertarianism exists better when people compartmentalize and they specialize, um, as we were you know talking about here previously, and that includes in this case no home. There's no home ownership in Morazan. It's all rentals. Can you address that? Yep. So there's a model of organization of a community called entrepreneurial community. The name is a little strange at first until you understand that it's describing a community managed by a single entrepreneur. So this is the single sole landlord of the community. You can think of an example such as a shopping mall. A shopping mall will be owned by one company and it could have dozens to thousands of tenants, depending on the size of the shopping mall. That shopping mall provides public goods from parking lots to securities. They might even have some small medical facilities, depending on the size of the mall. So the thought is this model is extremely efficient and gives you a ton of flexibility. And applying that to the residential sector sector allows for extreme flexibility as well. There's two key examples, I think, that make this clear for most people who I know their default instinct is, but if you don't own your house, then you're a slave. That's kind of the American propaganda that the Fed and central banks have brainwashed you in. You must take out debt, get a loan, own a home, pump up the money supply, etc. And so in reality, your house should be a depreciating asset. Your roofs go bad, your windows go bad, everything in your house decays. And it doesn't really make sense for you to hire plumbers and tradesmen one by one to fix things as opposed to a larger landlord having a plumber on payroll for a fraction of the cost. So there's all kinds of trade-offs for home ownership versus renting at scale. But the biggest two to take into account are, one, flexibility. We did not know what the city of the future would look like 100 years ago. American cities were poorly built. They were built around the automobile. And we now know, as you were talking earlier, right? many young people don't want to drive. They want a walkable city, the 15-minute city, all of these 
things are very popular. The rent premiums are very high there. If you live in a normal city to rezone a district, it's extremely difficult. You have to knock everything down. Whereas in this type of city, the landlord owns everything. You knock everything down and relocate. Okay, uh, it's kind of cutting over you. The music is. We're going to be right back with more. Don't go anywhere. It's Free Talk Live. More on this when we come back. Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary to those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical theological beliefs. As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice. We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people. We want to learn from each other. What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace, love, and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual. The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way. Love as your guide. And liberty as your light. Learn more at church.shiresociety.com. That's church. ShireSociety.com It's talk radio that you control. And 603-283-6160 is the phone number you can call to bring up whatever is on your mind. That's 603-283-6160. And I would like to tell you about ForkFest 2024. Join liberty-minded voluntarists, anarchists, and libertarians from June 13th through the 16th for the 8th annual ForkFest at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. ForkFest is a fork of the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which has sold out in recent years. ForkFest happens the weekend before the Porcupine Freedom Festival. ForkFest is decentralized, which means that there's no ticket cost and no one is in charge. All you have to do to join the fun is reserve your camping site, RV site, or motel room with Rogers Campground for June 13th through the 16th. You can find out more at the unofficial website, forkfest.party. You can also connect with other attendees on the ForkFest Telegram and Matrix chat rooms, as well as the ForkFest forum. You can find links to those at forkfest.party. We hope to see you there June 13th through the 16th, forkfest.party. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie, Jay, and Mark. Remotely in Florida. That's right. And was there anything else you wanted to say about Morazon City? I kind of out of um, habit dropped Alex during the break. Yeah, I I don't see any reason why uh, somebody has to be held over the break necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I I'm excited about what's going on in Morazon, and I'm I'm it's sort of from an observer standpoint. I'm not trying to advocate that people move to Morazon. 
to be free. What I'm saying is, is that private cities, what we've been talking about here on Free Talk Live for 20 years, work. Morazan's designed as a place for workers at factories that make uh, textile factories in Honduras to have a safe and dignified place to live for a low amount of money. Um, the rent there that I was paying, I think they're going to raise it a little bit, but I don't know how much I haven't done the calculations or anything, but the rent that I was paying when I was there was $120 a month. If you included everything, I was putting in about 200 to 250. And that's because I was living lavishly. Families can live for far less there. And I, it, you know, safe, totally safe. Um, which, you know, like I said, this isn't a safe place, but it's, it, it, it itself is safe. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of Morazan, it's not safe. Inside of Morazan, it is. And, I think that that's just amazing. It's a huge leap forward. And everything we believe appears to be so. Um, and like we said, it was going to be. And finally, somebody's tried it. And uh, Honduras allowed for at least a brief period of time for private cities to be created. And, I, I, you know, it's, it, it's great stuff. The current government of Honduras, the uh, Libra Party, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're terrible. The other Zede, Prospera, mm -hmm. uh, they've got a couple of very powerful Libra people that are associated with the town that is right next door called Crawfish Rock. And so they say all kinds of terrible things about the Zede. Hmm. Um, they've even spread the rumor that the Zede is out murdering people. Oh my gosh. I mean, like just crazy Prospera stuff. Like, or all of them? Yeah, this, this would be Prospera, yeah. Wow. Um, as though they're hunting down the people of Crawfish Rock like some kind of <laughs> modern day, uh, what's the book that, um, and the movie that, that was so popular. Anyway, um, I can't remember it. The, the 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 book that's supposed to be the the the, the terrible dystopian future where they hunt people. Uh, I don't know that one honestly. It's it was very popular, but um, oh oh, oh you know? Hunger Games, Hunger Games, Hunger Games, yeah, yeah, and. <laughs> Yeah, it's not your fault. It's, it's actually more like a by by a battle. It's not really that they're hunting people, so I got a little confused. Maybe even okay. I read it in high school. It's kind of like a gladiator thing. Yeah. I yeah. So anyway, um, what has happened is is that the people of Crawfish Rock and a large percentage of them are employed at Prospera. They're saying to their you know their overlords who are this Libra party. They're saying no more of this. We are getting, you know, we're getting paid and we're getting treated well by Prospera and you won't be treating us like that anymore. And now the Libra party, um, like the one person owns like a bunch of the houses there, they're um, kicking out people that have been vocal against them. They're kicking them out of their homes. So Prospera has to quickly build housing for these people so that they can have a place to live because they're evil socialist overlords are like, if you don't believe what we believe you, you're out on the street. Don't people uh, have right to bear arms in Honduras? Um, well, first off, arms are expensive, and Hondurans tend to not be very wealthy. But yes, um, guns are all over the place. I mean, people use them to guard. There's people guarding all kinds of businesses and that kind of thing. As to how easy or hard it is, the best I can tell is it's pretty darned easy to get a gun but I, I I can't speak to it. I'm not an ex, uh, you know, a firearms expert in Honduran law. Well, it looks like we have a caller on the line, so I'm going to go to Tim in Florida. Even though it's a little weird because Tim told me that he would never call in when I was hosting ever again. But go on, Tim. What's on your mind? Got a good point. 
What is the point, Tim? Oh, I think he hung uh, up. Yeah, he hung yeah, up. Yeah, he called me Yoko Ono as a, you know, because Yoko Ono famously kept the Beatles <laughs> together while John Lennon was in jail or something like that. That is stinging. <laughs> so stupid. Nice. I, I, I just pointed out a fact and he hung up. So I wasn't the one being mean there. He emailed me saying he would never call in with a female host ever again hosting. And it was because of me. I was like, well, I, if I he ever says Yoko Ono about. to you again, you just go, oh, me, 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 me. oh my God. <laughs> Mark, that's true statement. <laughs> it is racist. Well, no, she did this some kind of weird singing on some album. It was yeah, awful. yeah. There's that video of her singing like that. It just sounded kind of funny the way you said it. <laughs> well, well, Jay brought in this story we were discussing a few subjects ago about vegetable oils. And there's a uh, story on Zero Hedge called I'm Going to Red Pill You About Vegetable Oils. Could you just summarize what it is that basically is going to tell us about vegetable oils? Uh, Well, uh, let me summarize one thing I was saying first. So uh, like Crisco is diabetes in a bottle. So when you consume these vegetable oils, seed oils, oxidated hydrogenated oils is basically what they are by the time you get them they are not like that oil that's pressed out of a soybean you know it's chemically altered hmm. for example and even the oil even soybeans we shouldn't be consuming them anyways like i one of the things i don't feed my pigs any soy and i that's specifically good. have people like oh you don't feed your pigs your chicken soy right we don't want soy in them because you know, all the soy is round up ready so it's got a bunch hmm. of chemicals in it it's got a you know a mineral inhibitor called you know Agent Orange is what it was originally called, but now that's what Roundup basically is, glyphosate, Agent Orange. But when you consume this, your red blood cells are essentially made, the cell membrane, the cell wall is made from these these oil molecules, and instead of an animal-based cholesterol molecule. And then what happens is these red blood cells are basically unable or uh, the efficiency is dropped tremendously its ability to transport sugar so you have like when you consume sugar and you've eaten some fried food uh your blood sugar your you know uh, glucose index or glycemic index spikes a lot because the sugar is not being absorbed by the blood it's not going to the muscles so your muscles definitely burn glucose to like recover well when you've ate you know some popeye's fried chicken like i'm you know mark is addicted to uh, i am a fan (laughs) (laughs) you uh probably once a month this uh well that's not bad if you're doing it like you know every third day it's you know you Uh, are going to be diabetic uh fried chicken isn't that good so anyways your body can't like deal with the sugar so you have a lot of sugar in your blood but it's not getting absorbed by the red blood cells so therefore it's not being carried to the places it needs it's not getting into your toes it's not getting into your eyes it's not getting you know to replenish muscle so this is where you have diabetics that they're getting toes amputated because the the sugar is not getting there that, and you that know what's really bad about that your brain mostly uses sugar right so to it, transmit all of its so it's, electric right things yep so your brain now needs sugar Uh, it's not it's not getting it uh and then you crave more sugar so these people you know want more sugar because they're on the seed oils and when you were talking about is you can have some sugar Mm -hmm. and you know uh, you know what kind of sugar is Lori using is she using maple syrup is she using Mm. honey i don't know i i drink coffee every day with honey and i haven't had any kind of issues getting fat or ugly what happens is if I eat like a Snickers bar, I will immediately break out. Yep. But I don't break out from just 
you know, honey, maple syrup. I don't know. This thing I'm drinking right here is stevia. It hasn't seemed to be very bad for me. So, so anyways. And, and Jay, I'm, I'm just to interrupt. Laura couldn't handle the whole FBI raid thing and stuff like that. So we got a divorce some time ago. Oh, no. He um, said Lori because I was talking about eating oh, a bunch of Lori's food. But you All right, still, I just wanted to still... clarify. Oh. So anyways, yeah. Uh, so Lori's a co-host here on Free Talk Live what, on Wednesday nights. Um, yes. Yes. Lori. So uh, Lori used to, uh, Lori and Stu used to live, uh, you know, over at my place. And Lori is an awesome baker. Mm-hmm. And so she like m- would make these cakes that were like uh, would use maple syrup and would use, um, you know, like uh, just a, like a bunch of like you know fruit blends, you know, inside you know you, with the cake. And she's just she's she is the best baker I think she's there a, is a really really good baker. Oh my god, she. Well, her husband came by the house and just gave me this box of a whole bunch of cookies and a whole loaf of cinnamon bread she made and some fudge and some teas for Christmas. And that is just the sweetest thing that anyone has ever done. Oh, yeah. She's got the best butterscotch cookies I've ever had. Anyways, uh, but there's a big all sugars are not equal. So getting back to the sugar and the seed oils, the sugar, um, uh, your body is basically not able to deal with the sugar, not able to deal with it correctly, which leads to a bunch of complications. Now your blood sugar skyrockets. When your blood sugar skyrockets, uh, then your body needs to produce insulin. And then the pancreas, uh, in order to produce enough insulin to keep up with stuff, the adrenal glands got to kick in so the, so the pancreas can produce more and more insulin. And you get like become now your pancreas burns out. You have all these problems. You have all these health issues. So the seed oils are really bad uh to sum up this article so they basically talk about like how people who've been using mar- um uh margarine margarine have like 700 and that's what they call trans fats right uh yes it's, it's polyunsaturated fatty acids where they have a whole bunch of different areas where an oxygen mo- molecule can get in there instead of just one like a mono monosaturated fatty acid i guess is what you'd call it and that's bad because it makes your whole body more um, subject to oxidation. So what they talk about is these omega-6 fatty acids can cause chronic inflammation. So your seed oils are loaded with this omega-6 uh, fatty acid and that are linked to autoimmune diseases and an imbalance with omega-3. So the omega-3s are like your fish oil like that are really good and beneficial for you. Um uh, you know, this this uh, high omega-6 fatty acids links diets and, and vegetable oils to oxidative stress, uh, mitochondria, mitochondrial dysfunction. So mitochondria is like the engine of the cell. And when it doesn't function correctly, your cells don't work properly. Uh, genetic damage and increased risk of cancer and heart disease. So these... Um, you know, the extraction processes for vegetable oils like canola, soybean, and corn oil involves unnatural method- methods such as high heat and chemical solvents leading to oxidization and trans fat. Uh, these oils, a modern dietary phenomenon, have been in tr- seen tremendous use since the early 1990s, paral- paralleling the increase in chronic health issues. And I can tell you, these oils are dirt cheap compared to like... You know, so a hundred years ago, you know, all of our great grandmothers, they fried that country fried chicken and pork lard. Yeah. 
Uh, and it wasn't fr- a pork pork that ate nothing but soybean its whole life because now the la- large you buy on the grocery store shelf is just basically seed seed oil. It's basically soy oil because they make their pigs in soy or feed their pigs soy, so their pigs are made of soy, and, and their lard is too. And and all of these you know uh, seeds that they're getting these oils from are heavily government subsidized. So like the the soybean subsidy is huge, the canola oil subsidy is huge. Canada produces a ton of canola. Uh and you know soybean and canola oil should be used as a motor fuel and a lubricant. That's really, you know, about it. And when they started getting really good at, you know, so with also with the uh, petroleum that comes out of the ground, the crude oil, <clears throat> uh replacing a lot of cuz it's, it's a, a superior lubricant than like seed oils so your cotton seed oil and canola oil those were basically lubricants back in the day and then when the petroleum started uh coming into the market and you ha- and you were making gasoline from the refining process you had all of this uh, uh byproduct left over that actually makes really good re- really stable uh lubrication oils for like engines and stuff and drive mm-hmm. lines and and that's what's uh, gross about it. It's like most of these oils came about because they're a byproduct and the person who's manufacturing whatever it's a byproduct of was like, oh, I want to make more money. So what can we use this for? Oh, let's make margarine out of it. And that I just want to tell the listeners what the hateful eight are, as they're calling them. The eight seed oils that you should avoid because my parents are always texting me like, is this a seed oil? It's really... I guess you should say vegetable oil because they're not all from seeds. But the, one of the worst ones is sunflower oil. Then there's soy oil, cottonseed oil, which is even worse than sunflower oil. Safflower oil, which is the worst of the worst. Corn oil, <laughs> rice bran oil, grape seed oil, and then canola oil, a.k.a. rape seed oil. Those are the hateful eight. Grape seeds are oily? I'm surprised you can get anything out of them. I don't even know what a grape seed. Uh, yeah, they're so tiny. I I don't know. I don't know how well, you get oil yeah, out of I mean, that. If they can make grape seeds nearly invisible in a grape, they can make them very large and uh, you know probably squeeze them for oil. I guess well, that is probably what they do. Make them bigger. Well, for every bottle of wine, there's going to be you know an amount of seeds for every you know uh, grape juice or grape jam yep. or jelly. There's going to be some seeds and these yep. they, and they're going to. They're going to find a way to market that instead of throwing it out, for example. Right. And there's a big difference between a whole seed, like a whole grape seed. You, How many whole grape seeds would you have to eat to come up with the amount of oil in, in that grape seed? And, and, and let's not forget, <clears throat> these oils are, you know, chemically, uh, essentially, you know, um, so like in the... Um, in the cannabis uh, industry with making like uh, cannabis waxes mm-hmm. and like uh, what they call dab waxes and stuff like that, there is a there is like a, a chemical solvents that they use to make these things and they'll usually use like a butane or stuff mm-hmm. and that is generally like th- the cheaper type of like, you know, cannabis or THC wax or oil that you'll find on the market. And then they have like stuff that's just pressed. Yeah, just like they, pure. They just and, put it in a press and it's pressed. And there's nothing as like really bad for you about that. But it freaks me out to think of all the additives and <clears throat> fragrances that are in these like weed pots of little jars of quote unquote weed that people are smoking these days. And those little pens that are just a, a, a gel, basically. That freaks me out. Like, I don't even know what is in all of that stuff. At least if you have um, a plant, you know, it's just a plant. Well, it might have... Uh, roundup sprayed on it but still 
Well, the thing that's kind of scary about like cannabis and hemp, if you're like ingesting it and smoking it, is is one thing it does really, really well is it augments the soil. It cleans the soil. So if hmm. you have soil that has like lead, cadmium, oh. you know, and all kinds of these heavy metals, for example, uh, that that uh, that that hemp or or cannabis plant like uptakes that out of the soil, soil, and then it puts it right into the actual. Well, I don't know if it puts it into the seed or if it puts it into like the bud or, or where exactly, but it gets in it. Uh, there was actually an article I wanted to uh, look at a while ago. I don't know where it is, but it basically talked about the high levels of lead and cadmium that is in these THC products. Because, for example, like in Massachusetts, uh, they're growing a lot of this, um, a lot of this uh, pot, basically uh, industrial, in like a lot of these warehouses. Uh, manufacturing buildings that are like 200 years old. They're all over the place. These mill buildings that are just covered in like lead and cadmium and it's just everywhere. Gross. And it's like, and, and then a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the uh, dirt that they're using in the soil uh, is, you know, it's not really being tested. Like, and, and there's definitely, you know, some, some high levels of uh, lead and cadmium in people's like blood and stuff from uh, this basically dirty wheat. Hmm. Apparently chocolate has the same thing and lead and cadmium are, um, I don't know if you'd call it a forever chemical, but it's, it's, um, it's something that is not supposed to be processed through your body. Like it'll get stuck in your brain and probably your fat cells. Cause I know fat cells are a place where you're, when your body's like, I don't know what to do with this. It puts it in a fat cell, which is a good reason to not have a lot of those just sitting around. Um, and the same thing is apparently true about chocolate is what you're saying with, um, the factories around. Well, not so much the factory. Oh, well, yeah. So with a lot of the, uh, marijuana grows in Massachusetts, uh, they're in a lot of these old mill buildings that are on the rivers that have hydropower plants within them. Mm -hmm. And because the, uh, the guy, like, so I know a guy who owns one of these outfits that he owns one of these buildings and he rents like almost all of his space now to some growing operations because he can sell them the electricity for like triple the price. He can sell the electricity into the grid because he's got hydropower and he should just mine crypto instead. I I tried getting him to do that. Yeah. He did not want to mess with crypto because, well, because the amount of money he's getting from from the weed growers uh, is is um, is is pretty crazy hmm. com- on on the electricity side. Because so when he sells it into the grid, he gets like four cents a kilowatt. When he sells it to the weed grower, he gets like twelve cents a kilowatt or something. And if the weed grower had to buy it from the grid, it would basically cost about thirty cents a kilowatt. Like like right now in New Hampshire, it's like twenty nine cents a kilowatt for electricity. Uh, like six months oh. ago, it was thirty-three cents a kilowatt. It went down just a little bit, but um, so it's kind of a, a lucrative thing with almost all these mill towns now. You got all these, you know, huge grow operations, and so, anyways, and and even for like like a lot of people are like, you know, if you're, you know, like the house, you know, that I lost in Bondsville, Massachusetts, due to the property tax thing, was an old mill house, hmm. and Whoa. like I, I tested some of the soil around there. And it had like a lot of lot of garbage in it. Like Whoa. it was like you should be, you know, growing your tomatoes in a bucket, not in that dirt. You know, <laughs> wow. Because it was like, um, so I, I never really did any gardening there. But I had a, you know, a farm that wasn't far away that I went to all the time. My dad's farm, um, <clears throat> and uh, so you know, we we had gardens there, and that soil was you know pretty clean. But it was on the top of a mountain, 
and it was no like it wasn't like it wasn't an a mill house a dust there. industrial a textile mill for you know the past 400 years so there's a big difference between like um you know uh the soil in new england all around you know where these mills are along all these rivers um versus like you know the soil in like denver or even you know uh california for mm. example well, yeah, that's I, I'm just creeped out by all the things that they add to marijuana before you smoke it. And then putting any kind of smoke into your lungs is also bad for you. So that's something I'm not doing anymore. But I think it, it'd be worse. You'd be worse off um, eating seed oils all the time because this article tells us it basically explains exactly what Jay was telling us about um the extraction process and what the inflammation is doing inside your body and the oxidative stress. But it also says the Minnesota coronary experiment found that participants who increased their intake of corn oil and margarine had an 86% higher incidence of heart attacks despite lower cholesterol levels. So the thing is like back in the, I want to say the sixties or the fifties, they started making cholesterols seem like the devil like cholesterol is the really bad thing that we should avoid yeah it was harvard in the 70s and it's all been debunked um yeah. even like uh, i recently know uh i have a friend he, he's this older fella and he had like a heart attack and some things and they're like no you have to eat margarine and i'm yeah. like are you crazy oh they're still saying to do margarine that sucks so the, bad. you know the pharma pharma is so screwed up they want you to be a customer for life they don't want you to heal and, and then you're yeah you're a, you're a First, you're a customer of their terrible foods in the United States, and then you'll, you're a f- customer of their pills to heal you after the foods poisoned you. And it also says the margarine study, which is a great name, revealed that the group consuming margarine high in linoleic acid from vegetable oils had a 700% higher rate of strokes, heart attacks, and cardiovascular deaths compared to a group consuming omega-3 rich fish oil. It's Free Talk Live, and more is coming up. Don't go anywhere. 603-283-6160 is the phone number, and it's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. It's talk radio that you control. And 603-283-6160 is the phone number that you can call. That's 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay. And Mark. And I want to tell you about the Amplifier program. And I'd like to thank Save a Horse, who's a silver level amplifier with us here at Free Talk Live. Amplifier means that he helps advertise, market, promote, and support Free Talk Live. And you can learn more about that at amps.freetalklive.com. That's amps.freetalklive.com. So thank you, Save a Horse. He went to that link, and now he's getting the benefits that come with being an amplifier and also helping us spread the word of the show. Save a horse, ride a cowboy. Yeah, where that comes from. Pretty funny name. I don't think I'd seen that one that yet. 
It was a song that was pretty popular about 20 years ago. Yeah, but I just hadn't seen that that guy's name yet. What, what's it? Something George? George? I don't know. Some Straight? Like, George Strait? Is that him? No. I, I think that you're right. That was Big and Rich. Oh, really? Was okay. the name of that band. Um, I was wrong. Um, but in the last segment, we were talking about this article from Zero Hedge. And to just finish it up, it's going to red pill you about vegetable oils. Just to finish it up, I want to tell you, it says Americans should be aware that mega corporations controlling the nation's food supply have been force-feeding folks with junk food. I I feel like that's a bit extreme, except for when you have an actual thing on your arm that's made of high fructose corn syrup and, and canola oil when you go to the hospital. That's not even a joke. They'll put that straight into your veins. It says, one of the main contributors to the obesity crisis. This also impacts public health and is considered a national security threat, particularly regarding military readiness. Oh, like everyone being fat and out of shape, I guess. Folks need to ditch crime-ridden urban areas for rural communities and become their own food producer to break away from the government and mega corporations that control the food supply, it says. And I think also just choosing to not eat this product in favor of this product is doing actually... A lot of good because you're telling the manufacturers of this junk food, I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to eat this and you're going to make less money and they'll get that signal eventually. Well, here's the thing. They are kind of force feeding it. And the way that the government forces things is through what's called subsidies. So if you look at, I have a good friend that works in a market basket in Massachusetts and she is constantly like telling me stories about the welfare moms that are coming in there and they are putting, you know, all of this garbage food, you know, 12 packs of soda, multiple 12 packs of soda. And, you know, um, you got like uh, zebra cakes and nutty buddies Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, potato chips and just junk food after junk food after because junk food is super cheap. Like you can, you can fill a carriage full of little Debbie snacks at the grocery store for probably I don't even know, but it's like way cheaper. You you for 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 what you know ten pounds of beef cost or steak cost, you can fill a whole carriage with little Debbie snacks, you know, in the in the big twenty pack boxes or whatever. And this is what a lot of the you know the welfare moms EBT card sliders are uh, buying week after week after week, and it's not just a couple of them. It is like all of yeah, them. Yeah, I, I see women walking around with their kids and with little Debbies and sodas. Every time I go to the grocery store, I'm watching and judging people. And what that's doing, and so another thing is when, when kids are born, when you're born, you pretty much have all the IQ you're going to get. And uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this. So it is really, really hard to increase IQ but it is actually relatively easier to easy to decrease IQ through malnutrition, through poor nutrition. So one of the things that I, I've been doing with my kids, like since they've been been eating, is even this morning I gave them each both a like a basically a you know a quarter inch of uh, the Kerrygold butter. Nice. You know, grass fed butter is re- cow butter from grass fed cows is really important because it's got a lot more of that you know omega three fatty acid to it. And uh, so I'll slice that off and my kids will just, they'll just eat some butter. They eat butter often every single day, their entire lives. Also, we raise cows, we raise pigs, we raise chickens. So like, I know what all my animals are getting. I've actually have been able to with, um, you know, Bardo Farm. Uh, We work together on sourcing 
really high quality animal feed, uh, which is basically it's uh, expired feed from breweries that breweries can't use because it's expired. It's actually kind of a joke, but so we get this we get this feed that is you know uh, non GMO. There's no chemicals sprayed on it, so we're feeding our pigs like malted barley. We're feeding our pigs uh, malted rye, malt malted wheat that comes out of uh, like a lot of Scotland and England. And there's no Roundup or anything uh, put on it. There's you know nice. a lot of it's, it's really good stuff. But anyways, nutrition is so important. And when you're feeding your kids garbage like candy, like the hydrogenated oils, like all these little Debbie snacks, Chef Boyardee, and you know 99 cent a pound hot dogs, uh, for example, which is you know 99 cent a pound hot dogs. Mark and Mark's over there shaking his head. Yeah, he knows <laughs> you know what it costs to produce beef and and meat. You know that. 99 cent a pound hot dog is garbage and just like american cheese subsidized garbage yeah subsidized garbage so it's dirt cheap so they're force feed forcing it through subsidies if whatever you subsidize there's going to be a lot more of so most of these welfare moms um are you know they're um probably you know they're they're more concerned they they really need to be frugal with their money because like they got two hundred dollar hairdos they got a hundred fifty dollar set of nails on them you know you you, i'm sure you uh picked this up right bonnie um you know you know with with these with these uh welfare recipients that are you know swiping their ebt card they got Mm. like you know really nice nails (laughs) and they got the really good hairdos i mean these are the things that my wife points out she's like look at the eyelashes on her you know those costs this can look at the hair that costs that much and you know look at the fingernails i don't think and, i really noticed that type of uh, thing but i wouldn't be surprised yeah just go to a grocery store on the fifth of the month in new hampshire mm-hmm. and that's when the ebt cards are recharged and don't go early in the morning because those people don't wake up early you know they, but you go about three o'clock in the afternoon and just walk around with like maybe a chess camera or something or like <laughs> and it's funny I've how done it a few times people who are on yep. uh like welfare the things that they think make them look not Horror are things that just make them look trashier, like fake eyelashes. And, I've always hated those. And when it comes to like butter, so like like another thing too is you, you they'll be buying country crock vegetable spread. Yeah, it's yeah. just you know canola it, oil. Like like the butter that, that oil, I like to buy is a grass fed butter. So we usually buy Kerrygold, and Kerrygold a half a pound is like four twenty nine for a half a pound it's of Kerrygold. Well, actually. I think it's really cheap because I've milked cows before. <laughs> but you're also but, getting real nutrients. So in terms right. of the amount of nutrients you're getting, that's that's how I like but to think But you can it. buy a three-pound tub of country crock for like two ninety nine, And that's what they're doing. And that's what they're feeding their kids. And this is why the IQ of the kids that are being fed by the welfare moms that need to have their hair done and their nails done uh, that are buying the cheapest possible calories that they can give their kids, these kids' IQ are being diminished. And this is why the culture of the, the urban uh, city liberal types uh, is really, really gone downhill because they've diminished the IQ of their children you know, for a few generations, especially since the 90s now. And I think that that's what, um, to some extent, I don't know if that's the plan, right? But that's what the result of just the United States government is pumping these subsidies into things that are kind of empty calories. Um, so, you know, you, you compare uh, how many calories and how much nutrition is in a pound of flour versus a pound of broccoli. And, you know, there's big machines for taking uh, to for for harvesting 
the the grains, the wheat, but yep. you know you've got to harvest broccoli by hand. You just got to cut mm. it off and you know do the whole thing. And they haven't put the time, the energy, or anything like that into these uh, you know these vegetables that provide real nutrition. As a farmer, I am, you know, that is not a government-subsidized farmer. And, and that's the thing. I didn't want to be a farmer until I was holding cypress in my arms in the hospital right. I, because I farmed. I worked on these government-subsidized farm operations, and that's the only way you're going to get anywhere in farming is to be government-subsidized. Well, hopefully, I'm really praying hard that this U.S. dollar system collapses so there can be no more farm subsidies. And the reason is, is we have enjoyed such cheap food here in America because of the farm subsidy. Uh, a friend of mine did a whole bunch of research on the beef subsidy. Basically, the beef subsidy in like 2019, depending on which uh, you know metric you want to use, ranged anywhere from the U.S. government subsidized beef from either $29 to $46 a pound is the numbers that he could come up with if you took the, you know, the, high, the lowest numbers and the highest numbers that he could find. Let's say they, the lowest number is the accurate one. $29 a pound is a subsidy on beef, and, but that's why in Walmart you can buy a tube of you know, <clears throat> uh, ground beef, a 10-pound tube for you know, $19.95 or $21.95. My local grocery store right in a little town, pork chops, boneless pork chops that are white, so they're from anemic pigs, hmm. you know, because they didn't get iron because they were raised on a con- concrete floor inside of a barn with 4,000 other pigs. That's so know, sad. Right? So, uh, you know, $1.98 a pound for boneless pork chops. When I send my pigs to the slaughterhouse, it cost me $2.25 a pound just to get the pigs processed. Just to, just to process them. It's the truth. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And these big producers are the ones that are getting all the deals. Now, um, I just got... Here at a local grocery store in Florida, uh, six ninety nine a pound for a standing rib roast. That's a ribeye steak at six ninety nine a pound. You just can't buy that, and that's got to be subsidies. There's you, no other way to describe. Do you think it. it's the fake three um, D printed meat at, at some no. point? <laughs> no, it's just, I cut it. it. <laughs> no, it's just subsidies because you can't even feed a cow for that. You know, by the time, you know, as like a, a small time guy like myself. Uh, but what what happens is these farmers. So twenty nine dollars a pound went into beef subsidy. Uh, the taxpayer for every pound of beef that was sold in Walmart, there was twenty nine that cost that cost the taxpayer twenty nine dollars at minimum, according to my friend's uh, study on this. It, it's and, you know, but like a gallon of milk should be twenty five dollars when diesel fuel is six bucks. When you can't hire anybody, you know, to show up to work for much less than thirty or forty dollars an hour, for example, like you know, the New Hampshire minimum wage is twenty five bucks an hour. You can't hire anyone to do anything for twenty five bucks an hour. And if you want it done right, it's going to cost you a hundred dollars an hour to get it done. It's crazy because in McDonald's, last time I saw the minimum wage there or the starting wage there was eighteen dollars an hour. I don't think that would have went back down, even though that was like twenty twenty one when they had up on the sign because they needed people to work so bad. Hillsboro, New Hampshire, right across the street, there's a tire warehouse. So I go there and get my tires done, and I'm talking to the kid uh, who's doing the tires, and he was I was kind of coaching him through it. I'm you know I've been doing this mechanical stuff my entire life, and he's kind of new on a job and. He was like, you know, oh, I need to ask my boss a question. I'm like, oh, what do you got to ask him? And, you know, I, something about the torque specs or whatever. He's like, 
He's like, I was working at McDonald's before I started working here. <clears throat> he was getting paid 22 bucks an hour to Whoa. work at McDonald's. Hillsborough, New Hampshire. They offered him $25 an hour not to leave is what they offered him at McDonald's. Oh, my goodness. He, the kid doesn't do drugs. He's a nice kid. He's fairly respectable, best I can tell. And he was like, no, I want to do man work. He hmm. took a pay cut. He, they started him at the tire place at $20 an hour. He took a $2 an hour pay cut because he wanted to do he wanted to just do something different. He'd been working at this McDonald's also since he was like 17. Like he was like, and he said he was like the longest employee they had wow. you know, at the time. Uh, so he was worth the 25 bucks an hour for him not to leave. They got to retrain somebody else that they got to pay, you know, 19 bucks an hour. You know, there's institutional memory. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. This guy knows his job. You know, it, so he took a so, because he, he just wanted to man himself up is really the bottom line. So anyways, <clears throat> um, but I couldn't believe that they offered him 25 bucks an hour. And after thinking about it. I mean, yeah, I mean, and that place, every time I drive by that place, now literally it is the only McDonald's probably for 30 miles if you draw a circle around it, you know, on the map, you know, Hillsborough, New Hampshire, it's Mm -hmm. like 30 miles from Concord. Um, uh, But it's like, there is always a line. (laughs) It's got one of those double drive through things so you can like double order. But that... Eight o'clock in the morning, that place is slammed. Four o'clock in the afternoon, that place is slammed. Eleven o'clock, that place is slammed all the time. I can't believe it's people- basically the only fast food place on yeah. the closest thing to an interstate running east and west in New Hampshire. Um, you know, I'm not making excuses, but sometimes when you're super hungry, fast food does, um, and you're driving along and you've got an appointment to make. Fast food has or its uh, allure. If you need to pee somewhere. I only know about that McDonald's specifically because whenever I was doing a job knocking on doors at houses, like I was always far away from the hotel I was actually living at. So I peed at so many, like mostly subways because that's like the only um, fast food restaurant I've noticed New Hampshire has in every single little tiny town. But there, there was that McDonald's there. So yeah, there's just nothing else around there. But, and people are addicted to it because you yeah. know, they, their parents feed it to them when they're little kids. But we do actually have a caller on the line. We have David in New Mexico on. David, what's in your mind? <clears throat> Calling a man about a horse. I think I said in your mind. What's in your mind, David? Horses, what's going on in there? Are in my mind. So you I'm actually have a... Yeah, I, got, I want to talk to Jay again. But, but first of all, I want to say, um, Trinkle, Trinkle, you're talking about seed oils and junk food. Uh, I, I, I bought a bag of potato chips. And and I'm I'm eating the first potato chips I've eaten in the last six years. How do you like that? There's some pretty good <laughs> options you can buy for potato chips. So they got potato chips now, like pork rinds or like the chips I let my kids eat because they're right. cooked in pork lard. So we get the my my wife buys these like organic pork rinds um, uh, that are pretty good. And also, she's uh, you can get some potato chips now that are cooked in coconut oil or avocado oil. But you got to look look at the ingredients on the back because a lot of them will say with avocado oil. So it'll be like potato chips, and then it'll be like canola oil, salt, something else, and then avocado oil. You got to make sure it doesn't have that nasty seed oil, you know, ingredient yeah. in it. Speaking of yeah, nasty seed oil. Speaking of uh, uh, pork lard. I buy, at the beginning of the winter, I, I buy a, a five-gallon bucket of lard that I that I consume over the course of the winter. I've gone through about ten pounds of it in the last month. What do you do with it? 
you put it in and everything. When when you know when when you were a kid and grandma made beef stew and there were or chicken or better better example chicken stew chicken soup and there's all those blobules of fat floating around. In that case, it's chicken fat. But in uh, in but in everything else that doesn't have a chicken in it, there's not a bunch of nice uh, 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 fat in there. So you when you want that in your soup or your stew or whatever, you just take a big spoon of it and you know, and dump it or like a big ice cream scoop and dump it in the, in the pot of stew or soup that's brewing. And then you got that nice fat floating on top and, and it uh, gives you the calories you need and gives you the, that mouth fuel feel of the fat and yum. I can tell you pork lard has become very, very popular. So like three years ago, Bardo farm, uh, when they, when we were sending the pigs to the slaughterhouse, uh, we weren't taking the pork lard because nobody was really interested in it. Hmm. Uh, now what's happening is we are now taking all of the pork lard and uh, totally selling out of all the pork lard uh, because at, just like you, David, people want to use pork pork lard like grandma did. Right, yeah. Also, another thing, another good trick for if people want to uh, uh, help their animals out, your cats and your dogs, if you, uh, instead of just feeding them store-bought dog food, if you make your own concoction of uh, rice and eggs and and uh, pork lard and mix it in with their dog food, cat food. You know, and you can look at online for recipes for that kind of food. You can make your, your animals a lot hap- happier and healthier too. But um, what I what I want to talk to Jay about horses. Oh, and and let me just plug something. Last night, Bonnie, you you uh, somebody brought in an article, I think Nikki, about a father who had gotten uh, screwed out of his his biological daughter. Yeah, adopted. it was crazy. The mom lied that, that oh that she died during childbirth, and he was like, no, I'm I'm coming to the hospital to make sure you're not lying or whatever. Yeah, that she didn't put his name on the birth certificate. She gave the kid up for adoption, and the adoption agency that's like this for profit a- agency is just like, sorry, listen, dude, it's going to a good home. That's so messed yeah. up and crazy. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's like like it's a hamster. And I just wanted to say, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll talk, discuss it point by point another time, maybe when you have the same crew as you did yesterday. Mm-hmm. But the of, of all of the different facts you listed out as to what was illegally done to this guy, wrongfully done to this guy, about half of those things were, do, were done to me. And they're done to, uh, you know, it's not just him and me, like you said in your, in your, your uh, story last night. It, it that's over and over and over and over again. The recurring themes are doing the same little tricks over and over again to to all kinds of people. The majority of the people that go through the system and in, in those kind of situations. So that behavior is subsidized also uh, with uh, uh, child protective services, for example. They are subsidized in a family court and all of these adoption agencies. They are subsidized under what's called Social Security Administration Title IV. If you yep. look at this Title IV Hillary situation, Clinton. right, um, there is massive amount of subsidies. So this is why they really, really want to steal babies and they want to adopt them to somebody else because it is it basically the social workers. That's how they're guaranteed they're going to have a pension. And that's what's sold to them, that they have to do all this evil, horrible stuff. So they have a pension. And so everything stays afloat. It's another reason why we need to exit. New Hampshire needs to exit United States. So. That so that Title Four money is not coming into New Hampshire and corrupting it at the, the state and local level. Well, um, right. I'd, I'd like to, to chime in here as the probably most likely only adopted person on the air right now. Um, like, there's, it's, I'm not advocating for anything that uh, you know child welfare does or anything like that, but 
I can say as, uh, you know, having been young, I would have, it would have been terrible for me to be ripped away from my parents uh, after like, like two years old and given to, um, you know, one of my biological parents. And I, that's happened on a few rare occasions. And it's, it's not great for the kid. Um, I'm not saying that you know, this situation was good, right, or just. I'm just saying that we have to keep in mind what it's going to be like for the kid, too. Well, what's crazy about this story from last night, I'm not sure about, like, all the other ones, but this one from last night was this guy wanted to be there at the birth. He was willing and 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 had a room and filled with all the stuff to take care of the kid that day. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to the hospital. And she tried to trick him. So he would have been taking care of the kid since day one. And the... Adoption agency knew this, and they were like, "Oh, too late!" And sorry, she didn't put your name on the birth certificate. Right. So they they told her how to cheat. Yep, it it was really gross. Yeah, exactly. And that that's another thing that that the like the my uh, ex, they you, in retrospect, you can find out all the ways that the lawyers that they paid for um, uh, instructed her how to cheat on this, how to cheat on that. I mean, they helped they helped her with it. They did it. They took tens of thousands of dollars in exchange. One second, David. Um, we'll, we'll come back and finish this story. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. Don't go anywhere. You can call that 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay. And Mark. And we also are just going to go right into the phones because we have David online. David, are you still there? Yep. And you were calling in to talk about a story we talked about yesterday about a a man who got his kids taken away from him the day they're supposed to be born. Or maybe one kid, but... Right. And what I was saying is, is, is I just wanted to bring that up because you mentioned yesterday and on another Wednesday when you have that same crew, I would, I would like if you can, uh, if she's not listening now, if you could tell Nikki if she'd have that article handy again, I'd like her to bring up some of the major points of that article. And then I'd like to add on to, to what, I, what I hear her uh, bringing up from that article and, con- and confirm um, how they're doing it, not just in that one case, but they're doing it over and over and over again, that same, that same pattern. So they have like a system of taking people's kids away and selling them to make money? Yeah, there, there's recurring themes, recurring themes, recurring themes. They're doing the same thing over and over again to, to each, every, each different individual. And, when we, and there are tens and, tens and hundred, literally hundreds of thousands of cases just like that guy oh. last night in, in the United States alone. And then the same thing happens in every first world country uh, around the world and, and, and why first world because that's where the money's at baby wow so, um that that's why it happens in first world countries and not in third world countries near as much because there there's uh there's money here and they got a system to to basically it's to the trafficking children like you said they're yeah. the, the child goes one way and the money goes the other way that's how it works <clears throat> so this guy uh from arizona his name is david jose 
he is doing exceptional work with essentially uh, correcting the wrongs of DCYF and like teaching people. Um, you know how to uh, you know deal with these guys, which through, is CPS, Child Protective yeah. Service, but in New Hampshire, DCYF uh, through uh, n- uh, notice and affidavit process, and they are so like uh, he uses Arizona, Arizona as a lot of example. But if you're having some current Child Protective Services issues, David Jose is on uh, Rumble. I think he's uh, Dave's Cares for You is his thing. But if you just internet search David Jose Rumble, you'll show up. He is a um, like a real, I guess he's a black guy. Um, and uh, he's just, he's pretty amazing dude. And he's doing a lot of great work. And he has a lot of resources out there that can help people out tremendously. Uh, because the bottom line is DCYF, uh, Child Protective Services Family Court, they are not courts. They are not courts of record. They have no constitutional authority to operate. Uh, and what is what they've been doing is they... So we actually, through this affidavit and notice process, are having a committee to investigate DCYF here in New Hampshire, uh, a legislative committee to investigate DCYF specifically with my case with DCYF. Uh, <clears throat> and now, ex- your case has to do with uh, your kid being in the car. Um, it wasn't you know, hot weather or anything like that. And um, your wife went into the store, left them in there. And I think the car was running. Is that right? Car was running, climate control on. It was March 18th, 2022. You know, there was still snow on the ground. Uh, TJ Maxx conquered New Hampshire, which is like a very small, you know, strip mall that was basically built in a farm field. Um, And uh, not even a real busy place. And, but yeah, and we have social workers that lied you know, the social worker said uh, uh, that in her affidavit that she contacted the Henniker police and the Henniker police were f- said that they were familiar with the Noons as they are free stater, anti-government, live on a compound with lookouts and are ex- extremely dangerous. And, got, and the police got, never said you that. Chickens and, you got chickens and geese running around as lookouts? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, anyways, ask me this horse question. What, what about horses? Okay, well, it, it's a it, well. There's a couple different questions, but one main area was you know, uh, breeding programs. But but first of all, fin- to finish up on uh, things you said about horses earlier, um, I'm curious. You said uh, there's big money in training ponies for uh, rich people. They want to buy their their kid a well well trained pony. Um, who is, uh, I don't like riding ponies cause you know, it's all, they're, they're short and it's, it's a choppy ride for an adult and you're kind of big for them, especially you. I'm, I'm not so bad. Uh, but still are, are these adults training these ponies or, do, or are they young people training these ponies? It's young people, it's kids and adults. So basically to really make a pony, you, you need to be a horseman that has little kids. And, uh, so when my, my little brothers and, uh, Christopher, my youngest brother was small, we were making some ponies. Uh, can't do that anymore because you know the you know. But basically, you know, you got to have little kids to do it, and you got to you know have a good handler on underground, and you got to you know kind of use some tactics and some persuasion and some you know there's uh, all kinds of methods that these horse trainers use. But um, a handler? What do you say? A handler on the ground or underground? What did you say? On the ground. So like. So like when you're when you're breaking a, a a small to medium pony, and you got like a five six seven year old petite kid on it, um, 
you know, uh, the kid can just get bucked right off real easy, and then the kid don't want to ride the pony anymore. Mm-mm. So basically, right. you need to have someone kind of a handler, which would be the adult on the ground with the pony. Um, and, I, and I've literally just gave you enough information to get everybody really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, the and, horse business is hard, man. <clears throat> is that what you're planning on doing, David? You're planning on buying horses to sell them or something? No, I'm, I'm, I'm that I'm planning on buying horses because I, I've I had horses when I was a kid, and then then you got to get serious in life, and the horses go bye bye uh, because they're a luxury unless unless you're actually making money with them or you know working with them, um, so they go bye bye, and and then all your life you 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 miss your horse, you miss your horse, you miss your horse, and and uh, and uh, finally I'm getting around to uh, I, I like to get a horse or two or three or six again, and it's not to make money, it's because I want to have I want to do some horse stuff. But horses cost money. You know, cars are nice. You you can write a check for ten thousand dollars and put uh, twenty dollars of gas in it, um, and uh, you know, and a couple hundred dollars for insurance, and you can and you can just let it sit. You don't got to tend to it every day. You don't got to feed it. You don't got to. It doesn't cost you money. But a horse, uh, it, it you can be in the house watching TV, and the horses out there costing you money. And so, as a way to slightly offset that, um, I do a little breeding, a little training, sell a horse here and there and uh and offset your expenses a little bit yeah and and there are people that do it and like you know probably what would you know if, what i would do is if i was you i'd try to find a local horse trader to kind of buddy up with and start working with a little bit to um to like learn you to at least get yourself up to date uh on things and 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 you're going to learn a lot of things that are going to be handy i don't know if there's a local horse auction around there but like, that's let me, where you're gonna let me find ask you that, Jay. What, what are the chances that uh, one of these horse traders is like, well, I wish I had somebody to take care of a couple of horses. Um, oh, yeah. They're, that- they're always looking for that guy hmm. or girl. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're looking for some, they're always looking for a hand. One. Yeah. Well, thank you for the call, David. I wanted to get into one of the subjects that Mark brought in tonight. And I brought up this article. Apparently, this is a really big deal, but I hadn't heard about it. This is already a four day old article. And it's also from Zero Hedge. It says Japan's Nippon Steel to buy Nippon. Nippon. Yep. It's uh, basically the word Japan before, hmm. you know, we went and anglicized it. <laughs> Interesting. I had no idea. It says Japan's Nippon Steel to buy U.S. Steel for $14 billion. And what is U.S. Steel? Like that is a business? Like that's a the name of a company? It's a steel I mill. think it was yeah, I think it was Carnegie's uh, business, and this was at one point the largest business in the world. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, now the idea that the United States is losing the biggest, what was at one point the biggest company in the world to you know a foreign competitor, that's really something. Well, it says Nippon Steel Corp., Japan's largest steel production company, announced Monday morning that it will acquire Pittsburgh Based U.S. Steel in an all-cash deal, whoa, valued at fifty-five dollars per share, which equates to more than two trillion yen, or about fourteen billion dollars. At fifty-five dollars in cash, the steel or the deal is a forty percent premium to the closing price of U.S. Steel shares on Friday. Shares of X, which used to be called Twitter, are up twenty-seven percent in pre-market trading in New York, around fifty dollars a share. Nippon believes the acquisition of U.S. Steel will enhance its world-leading manufacturing and technology capabilities and enable it to expand the geographic areas. 
The U.S. is currently the world's fourth top producer of crude steel after China, India, and Japan. And I guess now they're going to be lower than that if we get rid of it. Like, I don't understand well, how this I works. I don't know that they'll get rid of it, but I can hmm. tell you. So one thing with Japan is Japan is not experiencing inflation like United States is. Hmm. Also, the United States, you know, printed up, you know, 40% of all, you know, all the money that it, it ever existed in the past couple of years. Japan has not done that. And I can tell you the Japanese have a lot of U.S. dollars they need to get rid of. And so it is probably, you know, what not, uh, you know, it, to buy your competitor. And <clears throat> that U.S. steel manufacturing plant will actually probably produce a better product once the Japanese own it. Hmm. So, I, like, I think Americans will still be involved and in probably working there and stuff, but their boss is out in Japan. Um, we like once they buy it, they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And they may find at some point that it's cheaper to manufacture someplace else. Mm-hmm. This yes. is everything that happened in the 90s and the aughts in the United States is all these businesses just what the giant sucking sound as Ross Perot referred to it is, you know, business just being sucked out of the United States and sent to places where labor's less expensive. Um, now, you want high quality steel and American union workers are, have been producing some really great high quality steel for a long time. But at the same time, if it ain't your company, it ain't your business. And if for whatever reason, Nippon Steel decides to move it or move part of it or whatever they want to do, then they will. Well, well, seeing how this, you know, we have the, um, you know, the complete destru- destruction of the U.S. empire coming soon in several years. It is going to be very, very cheap. Labor is going to be super cheap in this country, I believe, because, you know, we're already in a depression. Uh, and but of course, nobody believes that we're in a depression. Now, I've been saying for years, we're in a, re- a couple of years now, we're in a recession. Uh, but, you know, nobody can see this until it's until they're looking in their rearview mirror and they've already driven past it. So the Japanese, uh, you know, need to acquire some steel. The Japanese, uh, you know, like everything Japan manufactures is awesome. I mean, if you take, for example, uh, let's uh, compare some apples to apples. So you have Dodge Dakota, Chevy, like S10, you know, now they call them the Colorado and the Canyon and Ford Ranger trucks. And you compare those to a Toyota Tacoma, you know, a Mazda B2000. And I don't care what era it is from the 80s, from the 90s to right now, a Toyota Tacoma will destroy um, uh, any American branded, you know, class of that you know not the full-size pickup truck you know the japan doesn't produce a ton of full-size pickup trucks but everything they do is better a honda civic versus a a chevy cavalier whether it's 1980 or 2024 i don't even know if chevy makes cavalier anymore i guess they call it a i don't know what they call it else (laughs) Uh, but any a cruise but if you go look at the look at junkyards for example minivans here's a really good one minivans chrysler minivans there is and and General Motors minivans and Ford minivans, there's a whole bunch of them in the junkyards that aren't wrecked. They all got blown motors. But all your Toyota, your Honda, and your you know Japanese minivans and your Mazdas, for example, cars and anything, there are junkyards full of them, uh, and all of them are wrecked. <laughs> when I was looking for body parts for my wife's Toyota uh, Matrix a couple years ago, I had a hard time finding body parts. But you could buy a motor and a transmission for a Toyota anything for like 400 bucks from a junkyard because they have piles of wrecked cars with good 
motors and transmissions. But you look for like an equivalent like General Motors or Ford or Chrysler car, the motors, if they were, if the car was wrecked and it had a good running motor, those motors were worth like $1,500 to $2,000 because everybody needed those motors because there were so many of those cars with blown motors and the bodies were fine. Uh, yeah, the Japanese just do such a great job with everything that they do. There's like a lot of Japanese cars running around with 300,000 miles on them. I, I think the American cars have been catching up in the last 15 years. They had to. But they, they had, and they had to, but they didn't have to. They could have just died. And um, I'm, you know, I'm proud to say that much. But, you know, if somebody asked me whether I'd have a, rather have a car, a Japanese car from the 90s or an American car from the 90s, I know what my answer is. And like your Toyotas, for example, this was funny. So, like, I, I know a guy who was going to buy his son a car. He spoils his son. This guy's got a lot of money. He's going to buy his son a, like a car for his first car. He's going to be like a, you can spend 30 grand. And the kid wanted a Toyota something or another car. And his father says, no, you have to buy an American-made car. You can buy a Chrysler. You can buy a Chevrolet or, or GM, or you can buy a Ford. And he says, I prefer you buy a GM. All the GMs were made in Mexico. The mm. Toyota the kid wanted, I forget what the Toyota was, Avalon maybe? Right. Um, made in the U.S. Yeah, it made in North Carolina. And basically the engine and the transmission and like the differentials and like the, you know, the, the all, all the running gear was all manufactured in Japan. Mm. And then, but like the, um, the, the body parts were all, it was Japanese steel, sheet metal yeah. sent here. The ste- sheet metal is punched out in, in, in North Carolina. The frames are punched out and assembled in North Carolina. The car is totally assembled in North Carolina, just made out of Japanese parts and some German parts because the Japanese are like, well, the Germans do a better job at us making this particular widget for the car. Hmm. Like the Japanese are pretty darn smart, um, you know, when it comes to this, these engineering things. Well, it looks like we do have a caller on the line. Unscreened caller, what's on your mind? Hi, uh, name's Paul. I wanted to call in while Mark was still around. Um oh, Paul. you're getting close to the end of the show. Hey, um, Paul. Thanks for the good well wishes uh, for the holidays. Yeah, well, hey, uh, good wishes right back to you. Uh want to stay in touch. Anyway, uh, I realized you've been talking about a lot of different things today, and uh, I, I really you know, like the take on it. But I thought I'd call in just to uh, put in a good word um, for people that seem to be getting trashed. Um, uh, for instance, I have a question, okay? What did the black people do to warrant the treatment they've gotten, let's say, in the American South, you know, from the 19th century on? Can you talk about something specific so that I understand what we're, we're saying? I mean, obviously, black people were, in, by and large, uh, you know, shipped over here uh, against their will. Right. So, in other words, they didn't do anything to deserve the treatment they got. Yeah, like slavery. Yeah. Yeah. So, therefore, the principle that if somebody is getting attacked, it's because of something they did is not always true, right? Right, right. And that there are people who can hate others just because they hate others for some weird reason. And it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with justice, right? Yeah, that's definitely true. Okay, so. My next question is, what did the Jews do to be attacked uh, historically for the last several thousand years? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure people would come up with all kinds of things, but I'm going to go ahead and say nothing. I don't think it's ever justified right. to attack someone unless you're defending yourself like you are 
stopping yourself from being harmed, and that's why you attack them. Right. Now, obviously, we're going to the Middle East, right? But I just wanted to, to, to put the principle forth that just because somebody hates somebody, they may not have a good reason for it. They may make up stuff. They may pull things out of the air. They may put themselves in situations whereby then they can blame others for their own, own problems. My point is, <clears throat> Israel is a country, okay? It's the only country on the planet that people feel perfectly justified in saying it's illegitimate and shouldn't exist. Well, it's now, also one I, of the only a, countries a, in the planet that was made the way that it was. Like, I think that it's the only one that is still, you know, making the people that used to live there be prisoners and killing so many of them. Did you know that almost every single male Palestinian has been in jail before? What did, what did those people do to deserve that? Probably not a lot. Well, let me let me ask you. Um, it's not. Have you ever heard of Pakistan? Yes. Okay. Now, Pakistan was a completely made-up country. Okay, it never existed before in history. But yet, because of the tension between the Hindus and the and the Muslims in India, Pakistan was carved out and was created. And millions of people were thrown out because they were the wrong religion. Yeah, it sounds really messed nobody up. Has, nobody has ever said that Pakistan has no reason to exist, and the Muslims should not have created Pakistan, and they should have gone somewhere else. Only Israel gets that treatment. I don't even think that's true. Like, we, we just aren't in that side of the world where we hear that kind of news all the time. When I have right, a friend, the one I cares about Pakistan because they're all a bunch of brown people who don't speak English. Well, actually, the Indians do speak English, so there you go. But <laughs> it's not maybe not their first language. Well, all I'm I mean, saying is that just because it's is... not something you hear about very often doesn't mean that no one ever says that. Like, I don't know enough of the history about um, what used to be Western, a Western part of India, and then it turned into Pakistan. But I actually have heard people discussing that topic before who are actually pakistani it's just that we don't we don't hear about it so i, I just don't get well, the point you're making how about it's we not say that, how about we say this that israel receives far more flack for its existence than any other country maybe taiwan i just i don't i just well, don't like think that's some kind of like great ama- amazing point that he thinks just it like is hear, considering I'd the like fact to hear that, wherever he's going with it that's cons- what I want considering hear. the fact that it's it's not the same argument that people are making in in every single different country like everything is its own situation and in the issue with Israel people have a right to be upset with uh, with their treatment of Pakistan and no they don't have the right to say oh let's kiz- kill Israelis let's hate Israelis it's more about the government but i think it's just a little sensitive to just be oh i i can't hear any criticism of israel because well it gets too much criticism well you maybe think about why it's getting so much criticism well i look i i have as much credibility i mean i've been an anarchist long enough to know that all governments are evil okay let me put that on the table okay so i'm not defending the israeli government per se as a government because all of them are in the same boat however the Jewish people have been under the gun for, you know, millennia, 
okay, because they refused to bow down to the gods of the nations that don't like their, you know, their... They didn't bow down to the Roman gods. They don't bow down to any of the other gods. No, we got our own gods. Thank you very much. Okay. So Jews as a religious group, you know, became a people, and they hold in common their own interests. Well, they, I, I mean, it's just like they, they should have the stayed world, and, and hold, held on to the land they lived on, and if they didn't and they moved, I just don't understand why— these people, these are the only people that if you talk about their government doing something that's really terrible, people are like, oh, so you hate the people that are Jews and including anarchists. It's crazy. Like, no, that's not what anyone is saying. People are saying that the government bombing people into oblivion is bad. Is that something that's super, super terrible to say? Well, it's not. If you look at the history of that of that region, there's an awful lot of complexity. And oh, yeah. the last thing that happened in 2005 um, was that Israel left Gaza, okay? They said, fine, okay, we'll leave you guys to work it out on your own. And they left thriving businesses in Gaza with the idea that, you know, the people there could make, it, make a go of it and, and turn themselves into a, in, into a little Lebanon. But no, what the residents did was that they destroyed all the infrastructure that the Israelis built because it was built by Jews. That's ridiculous. Like, you're obviously simplifying something uh, that you're trying to say, oh, it's too complicated for me to understand. But let me tell you this story without any type of, you know, anything to back it up where I'm just obviously really simplifying the situation yourself. Like, you, can look you don't up think what that happened to the flower export industry. So in you you don't think that being a... put into prison at rates of almost every single male in the country has anything to do with you know the country not prospering? Sounds like Gaza's has... at war with Israel. Well, it's been Free Talk Live. We're on every night, seven to ten Eastern, live some of those nights. But we won't be live tomorrow. But we'll be back live Saturday. And you can call in and bring up whatever you want. It's Free Talk Live. If you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate, well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Realtor Mark Warden. Now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in New Hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime. Our friends at Porcupine Real Estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by New Hampshire citizens. Reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com. Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com.